What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream episode 83. And today's guest is going to be Eric Porter. But first, you got to listen to me rant about whatever I feel like for as long as I want. And uh, lucky you, today I'm going to talk to you about what you hear me talk about every week is help support the channel because I don't have any sponsors. I um. I need, I guess I need to get on the, the, like the, get on the sponsor train and start working my angles to get some serious sponsors for this podcast. But until then, the people that are sponsoring the podcast is Patreon. And you guys hear me go on about this every week, but it's for real, man. So you could do a buck. That's pretty simple. Just like buying a beer. You know, the other day I went and I bought sushi and it asked me for like, I'm picking it up to take it in. I drove there myself and picked it up after I put the order in myself, which I'm assuming just prints right out for the guy that's making it. And then the lady rings me up and it asked me if I should give a tip. And for whatever reason, I feel obligated to give a tip at that point. I'm like, why? You're not like waiting on me. You didn't put the order in like you didn't deliver it, but I did. I still give a tip and it was definitely more than a buck. So you guys can do me some, do me some justice, man. Swing by patreon.com and look at biker and throw me a buck. Or if you want some stickers or some extra content, which is like really extra content because I've been doing quick edits of some of my rides and that's five bucks a month. So instead you can see like the old biker videos wherever it's super easy to edit and doesn't have music and drone shots and B-roll, but it's still fun, fun, fun stuff of, of me being a dipshit riding down the trail. Like a lot of you guys originally subscribed for. So you can hit that up for five bucks a month. If you really want to support the channel, like put beer in the fridge, buy camera equipment and everything. There's a $25 tier comes with a super bonus pack of all kinds of stuff. And uh, if you want, if you want all kinds of stuff, but you don't want to be on Patreon, you can go to the biker website at biker.com B one K E R. Casey, I haven't figured out how to spell it yet. And there's a shop over there. You can buy all that stuff too, individually. Like this hat that I'm wearing. I just made this one. I don't know how to make the right angle, but those of you that are, are, are looking, I don't know. I don't have good like hat model angles, but there it is. It'll be on the screen for the next two hours. So you guys, if you want one, go to the shop.biker.com and pick one up and I'll make five bucks. Or you could go to... Um, wherever I just said a minute ago, Patreon, help me out there. <laughs> Anyways, those of you guys that don't want to do it, just hit the thumbs up, man, or the subscribe button or something like that. Tell all your friends, go leave a, a review about the podcast. What's all the other stuff you guys should know in the comments by now, what it is that I say every week. And then we can go from there. Um, <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring on our guest, and we can go ahead and get started. So here we go. What's up, Eric? How's it going? Not bad, man. I'm like, I feel like a broken record every week doing that. But oddly enough, whenever I talk about Patreon, people sign up. It's like, it's like telling people to hit the subscribe button on your videos. It, it's so freaking annoying because you're like, I would think people know how to do this. But if you do it, all of a sudden people do it. So yeah, that's that's one of the many things I learned from Seth that uh like you just kind of got to do it because you know, then they'll do yeah. it. 
<laughs> yeah. You forget. Otherwise, you watch a video, then watch the next video and then the next video. And if they're engaged with what you're doing and they like the video or they like the, you know, hanging out yeah. with you here, then they're gonna be like, oh, right, I should support that. So, right. Like, there's you no, know, you don't just leave money on the table. Exactly. I, uh, I, I can say that when I first started watching YouTube, I didn't, I didn't subscribe to anybody. I'm like, I'm not subscribing. I don't want to be notified about anything. I make my own decisions. Yeah. And I remember listening to BKXE over and over again, like just hit the subscribe button. And finally I did it. And I was like, son of a bitch, that didn't work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So, just got to be the squeaky wheel, man. Yeah. What have you been up to, dude? I uh, just got back from the ski resort. So today was closing day at Park City Mountain. Um, oh, wow. And so our whole family's way into skiing and snowboarding. My wife's from Alaska, so she grew up on skis. And oh yeah, um, even though I, I grew up in Kentucky and still I'd go as often as I could. My grandparents would take us out to Colorado once a year. And Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'd spend uh, every free second I had in the winter driving up to Paoli Peaks, Indiana for a 300-foot hill. So oh, wow. Uh, I'm living the dream out here now that I can actually go to a big, you know, awesome resort. Um, so that's crazy. So you, uh, you're born in Kentucky. Yeah. Born in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, right on dude. How'd you get into riding bikes? It's actually really good there. Um, there's a ton of trails there. There's a good mountain bike community. Um, Kentucky mountain bike association. Kemba has been around, I don't know how many years, but you know, um, it was well established when I was a kid and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I basically got a mountain bike when I was 12 and there were trails that I could ride from my house. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of like the age when your parents are like, all right, you're not going to die yeah. if you ought to. Yeah, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to get it now because like when your kids are younger, you don't want to let them out of your sight. And then right. my 11 now and I'm starting to think I'd probably let them go for a little ride by themselves now. Um, yeah. And I remember so, the first time I let my kids go to the park by themselves. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. You know, <laughs> it was like right up the street or whatever. But it still was like, it's a big deal. deal. Yeah. yeah. That many years into like not being without them for a second and, right. and everything else that you just don't yeah. want to happen. So, um, yeah, so I was just lucky enough to ride there and then got a job at the local bike shop and kept uh, just chasing, chasing the dream, I guess. What was what was that first bike? Uh, my very first bike was a Murray from Kmart. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a, um, a road bike. that we, walk, we went in there, and they're like $100 bikes. You know, they're yeah, yeah. Uh, not nice, but it was all I knew, and they're all amazing and incredible. And right. I thought pin speed looked sweet because I could go fast on it. And I had it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm bored. Is that all? Because <laughs> Couldn't, like I probably wasn't allowed to just go ride all around town either. Um, yeah. And uh, luckily, my dad ended up kind of wanting a road bike, and he could fit it well enough. So then we got me a mountain bike. Um, there you go. And that it just clicked. I was like, "Yep, this is awesome." And I didn't didn't even really know what mountain biking was then until uh, about what year was that? That would have been uh, probably ninety nineteen ninety or ninety one. Okay, so you're like my age then. You're like mid 40s something like that yeah 41 yeah uh, okay yeah yeah i think i'm i think, I think I, i'm turning 44 i i'm old enough now that you like completely forget how freaking old you are like apparently yeah. that's the thing <laughs> after 40 i think uh, yeah okay it sounds good to me man yeah <laughs> i always tell everybody like like or whenever i come home and meet somebody new my lady's like oh how old were they i'm like oh they're my age and then she'll like meet them and she'll be like rob they were like 
25. They're not your age. I'm like, I don't know. It seemed like it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 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 You do the same stuff. It, I, it's funny because you don't really, when we do these sports that are kind of lifetime sports that we can all yeah. do, you don't really, age doesn't matter as much. Um, yeah. You don't really notice until it's like movie references or something. And they're like, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. And you're like, no, that yeah. one. And they're like, yeah, I never saw it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my buddy that's on my channel all the time, I call him Moonlight Leatherfoot. And uh, he's like in his early 30s. And I make references all the time. And he just looks at me and no clue what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> movies, sometimes music too. Like a lot of music that I, you know, I just take for granted that people know. And he's like, I don't, I don't even know what band that is, dude. <laughs> like, oh, great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway. But it was great for mountain biking and it was also good enough for snowboarding. And I was just kind of doing all the mountain sports. And as soon as I realized what the rest of the world was like outside of Kentucky and mm -hmm. in the Midwest, I felt like I was living in the wrong place. Um, uh -huh. And uh, I didn't actually get to move out here until after college. Um, I went to college in Kentucky too, cause we could afford it um, Yeah, yeah. Afford to go to school out of state. But um yeah, finally made it out to Colorado and then, yeah. Uh, so like when you were going to college and stuff, I don't know when you started racing pro or did you race? I, I know you're a professional rider. I, I'm assuming you're a racer. I'm one of those guys that doesn't know shit about mountain biking except for what I've done myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, it works out well for these interviews because I never know anything. So I'm just asking questions that you would normally ask. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And a lot of people uh, have no idea that uh, have started watching my channel and become introduced to me that way because they weren't yeah. following me through the other stuff. Um, yeah. They know me through what I've been doing on the channel. Um, yeah. Great. But yeah, so I, when I went into college, what I wanted to do, if I could just do whatever I wanted, was to move to Colorado as soon as I graduated high school and try mm -hmm. to be a pro snowboarder. And so that was, okay. bikes weren't even in, in the equation. I liked riding them, but it was, uh, and I was racing cross country a little bit. Um, uh -huh. so when I got to college, I was like, oh, I should do something with, you know, college instead of just, <laughs> and obviously it wasn't going to be on like football team or something. And I found right. out there was a bike team. So I started racing mountain bikes there and that introduced me to everything. So then you know, there were slalom. I was racing cross country, but there were slalom races there too. And the Midwest had one of the strongest dual slalom racing scenes. Um, mm -hmm. for it. And um, yeah, it kind of transitioned from snowboarding to bikes and through racing collegiate, um, worked my way up and ended up my last year in college uh, winning national championships for our division um, mm -hmm. for cross country or not for cross country, for downhill and for slalom. Oh, okay. Um, and so by that point, I was racing semi-pro at the Norbas kind of like uh, in the summers. And yeah, yeah. everybody in the Midwest scene that's um, – there's so many of them that are still in the bike industry now that um, came from that Midwest slalom scene that um, yeah. were the, like some of the best bike riders on the planet. Um, that are it's, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. So anyway, that kind of um, – it kind of shifted from snowboards to bikes because of what I had access to. Um, right. And I'm just, I, I never, I wasn't into partying or girls or any of that stuff in college. And I just uh, rode my bike all the time, pretty much. Um, I probably should have rode more bike. I mean, I was into the other things. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things at the time you're like, 
sure would be fun to you know go to parties more but i guess yeah. i'll just ride my bike and yeah, uh, yeah. believe yeah. me I, I did it for both of us so we're good <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah, yeah that was actually i i didn't drink at all until um college and i i think i was i didn't really drink till i was like 21 um and it was introduced to me through um kind of what we did after the race yeah and so i think it was uh kind of a a healthier way to do it i saw it than um than uh the typical <laughs> college way of uh that you get introduced to drinking because this was yeah. kind of like the mentality of uh making the good times better you know like just yeah, yeah. keep it rolling yeah. celebrate a good weekend racing and um yeah but, i celebrated like being in ninth grade or something like that and then didn't stop until i was like well i guess i'm still at it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch! If I didn't make habit out of it, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's a lot of good times though too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. What? Um, so, are you a beer guy or like? I was for. Um, I actually, I even had a signature bike with Haro. So I guess I didn't finish the other story. So oh, after, okay. um, I'll get. This will segue nicely into the beer thing. Um, there you go. Yeah. So after college, um, I moved to Durango and tried to like actually give it a go at racing downhill and being a pro mountain biker. But, um, I wasn't quite fast enough to be like, you know, you're, you know, pretty quickly if you're fast enough to be a top pro downhill racer. Um, yeah. but luckily in between the races, I found a crew of guys like Jeff Lenoski and Aaron chase and, uh, Kyle Ebbett and this, this crew of guys that were dirt jumping and street riding, um, mm -hmm. at all these spots and sk riding skate parks and stuff and filming it in between the races. Um, mm -hmm. I started riding and filming with them and then um, pretty quickly there were dirt jump contests and slope styles too. And all of a sudden I had a job riding, you know, hitting dirt jumps and doing flips and grinding yeah. handles and riding skate parks and filming and all that sort of thing. So it actually ended up uh, working out that way. Um, so anyway, that I was on iron horse and then I was on Haro bikes, um, uh -huh. legendary BMX brand. Yeah, yeah. I totally remember that, man. I yeah. was a BMX kid, so like those. It's funny, like some of those names. Like, I mean, you ride for Diamondback now. I mean, those were names that were huge for us when we were kids. Like Haro, Diamondback, Mongoose, you know. And and to see where they are now, it's kind of it's kind of different, you know. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was on Haro then, and they made uh, and it was crazy. Like the teammates with like Ryan Nyquist and stuff, like. Um, incredible people you know and the, yeah. like, like that team and the, their mountain bike history too same with diamondback um their history with the sports mountain biking so i ended up with a uh signature slope style bike with diamond with uh with haro yeah and, um so the graphics on that bike were uh basically as if you kind of peeled off beer labels and stuck them to i'll grab it it's right here oh right on man that's pretty cool to have yeah. like a signature frame. Oh, it's over here. <laughs> yeah. So at the time I was uh, homebrewing a ton. And so that's where the inspiration for this came from. Um, oh, so that's really like, cool. Um, basically Pete Demos, who is the creative director for Haro. Um, he basically made a bunch of uh, fake, I mean, not fake, real beer labels for my homebrew beer. And then um, that was the, that's the graphic on the bike right on 
Um, for those so, of you guys that are listening, it's a, like a blue frame with, and it looks like on the top tube, the part of the down tube and like the seat tube, it, it just looks like there's like different beer stickers all over it, but they all say Porter on them. And then, yeah. and then uh, as part of the um, media launch for that, I homebrewed a whole bunch of beer and put the labels on them. And then we gave them out to magazine editors and stuff. Too. Oh, that's cool. Um, cool. So I was way into, um, homebrew beer for a while and i had a couple different uh, kegs uh on tap in the fridge oh uh, nice yeah the lady bought the my lady she loves cooking she's really freaking good at it like to give you an example one of my buddies is like hey you guys want to come over for thanksgiving and i was like yeah i can't make it. i got these other plans he's like actually i was just trying to see if katie would come because she can bring some food that's really good <laughs> nice <laughs> but uh she loves cooking and i think that she, she likes the process of it or whatever and she's like oh well you, i like beer so she's thinking i'm gonna buy him a beer brewing kit and he's gonna love it i apparently don't like working to make beer <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I just want to get rid of it inside yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So um, I ended up never using it. If, however, the bottle that you're supposed to brew all the beer into, I've been collecting bottle caps in for a few years now, and it's about halfway through. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah it's part of your program, right? The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, what, awesome. what was the beer, like your favorite beer to brew? Um, I, so I had to couple i've made like pretty much every different style over the years um i ended up what my favorites were was i had a pilsner that was like a nice light kind of after ride beer and yeah, then yeah. Uh, a, like a double ipa as well for like oh, you know. a big one yeah <laughs> uh, i mean what are you drinking it for let's let's be honest here <laughs> right right um yeah no i'm with you <laughs> yeah so it was uh and this was uh you know when was this 2000 eight or so uh -huh. uh, it was it was actually before the the whole like hops and all the stuff kind of ipas really went off um, Oh yeah yeah and uh but it was so the, our favorite beer here uh within our group of friends is the, the squatters it's called hot rising uh -huh. it's a nine percent double ipa and just really good beer so I you say nine nine percent nine percent oh wow that's big dude some of those are smooth though, man. I had a um last week from Sierra Nevada, which I don't usually buy many of their beers, some like the big haze or something that was I forget what it was called. It's like a purple can. Actually, oh, I actually have one the other hazy. I, I know what you're talking about. It's not the hazy, the hazy is like a teal can, but it looks like the same can except for it's purple. So yeah. it's like purple and yellow. Anyways, that thing was nine percent. It was like a double or a triple IPA. I don't know what the hell it was, but it was so smooth. It was one of those ones where you're like, this is trouble, man. You could be sitting there watching a football game or something like that. And next thing you know, you're like three deep and you go to get up for another one. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and these things come in a can here, too. It's um, yeah. it, which, you know, Utah is notoriously, you know, weird for the liquor laws. And um, so it was a lot easier making it yourself and having it in the garage. Yeah, because um, yeah, they, they only do like something like, don't they only sell like 4% beer or something like that? Or they just bumped it up. Um, so it's less weird. It's more normal. It's more like in line with Colorado and stuff um, uh -huh. to get like um, wine and liquor and like double IPAs and stuff at a liquor store, which are state run. So there's like yeah. not a ton of them, but there's enough of them or you can get it at the brewery. So there's lots of loopholes too. So like, yeah, you go to 
Main Street Park City and get a you know uh, bottle of bourbon at from High West at like you know nine o'clock on a Sunday morning or whatever. So you can right. you can get it if you need it, but um, right. It was never yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania and they had state stores and beer distributors there too. Like you couldn't buy even buy beer at the, the grocery store. Yeah. But you could buy it like you could buy beer at the bar and walk out with it. So like up to a 12 pack 12 pack at a time. Yeah. And um because of that, uh you you would see like these places pop up that would just be like all like uh like like just the refrigerators like in a, in a store and then yeah. they'd have like one table in the back so they could call themselves a bar. And then people would just walk in by a 12 pack walkout, walk in by a 12 pack walkout. And then that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's how they would get around, around it. Yeah. Uh, the unions. Yeah. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's uh there's, there's loopholes for all of it. And you know, Kentucky has got full dry counties um, where I grew up. They've got, you know, on one hand bourbon County or whatever. And then, uh, dry counties too, or you can't get anything. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I was, I was, uh, doing Which that. Is weird. Like Kentucky has dry counties and they're like, uh, like known for bourbon, right? You know, yeah, bourbon and moonshine and everything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, uh, I, I did, um, for a while. Um, and then I think, I guess it was about four years ago. I went to Guatemala on a trip and I got some sort of parasite that messed me up for like a month. Um, and we like, I, I basically couldn't drink alcohol after that. And uh, my other buddy who got the same thing, he couldn't eat sugar after that. And he didn't drink anyway, but he was for whatever reason, he, like he would drink like a hundred ounces of dew a day. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, like he was sugar fiend, you know, like, getting refills in the big gulps all the time. And uh, anyway, it was something, I, I don't know what it was. We never were able to track it down or find it. But um, yeah, basically since then I haven't really drank. Um, I'll have a beer here and there, but. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah it was, I don't know. And it was, I kind of looked at the upside. There's a lot of upsides to it too, that worked out well for me. And um, with, you know, the kids and everything else, like it's, one more thing I don't think about or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't it, think it's needed. That's for sure. No. You know? <laughs> but it's, I don't know. It's, it's a fun thing. So you didn't do like BMX when you were younger. You just started out on a BMX or on a mountain bike? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had like a 20-inch bike, but I didn't ride BMX per se. I didn't race BMX as a kid. I didn't, um, I didn't like, you know, really ride street or anything like that. Um, so in college I did get a BMX bike. Um, and I rode a couple summers, uh, rode BMX, uh, street quite a bit, um, which was huge in Louisville. There's uh metal bikes, uh, BMX company there and, uh, mm -hmm. van and Ryan Metro and Derek Gabbard and like this you know, kind of legendary crew of, uh, BMX street riders lived there. Um, yeah. so I, I learned a lot from them and that's like learning how to manual and, uh, learning how to grind stuff and whatever on a BMX. Um, so I did put in some time on one. Um, I raced, I don't know, a few times, uh, but not too much. But by uh, that time, you were like a, a grown adult, though, getting into yeah. BMX. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I was 19 years old, probably, um, maybe 20. Um, yeah, I probably haven't ridden a BMX bike 
legitimately since I was like 16 or 17 years old, I, I feel like I would be like super huge on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd look like some of those like circus bears or something like that. You know? Totally. They are making them like longer and taller than before. And now they're making 22 inch wheel BMX bikes as well, which I think if yeah. I got another one, I'd probably get one of the 22 inch wheel ones. I just think it'd be a little less squirrely and <laughs> work better. Uh-huh. Um, but I always felt the same way, like the bear on the unicycle a little bit. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I when I rode BMX too, I was like a ton lighter. I mean, when I graduated high school, I was I only weighed 155 pounds. And I was just as tall as I am now. Yeah. And now, now I'm like shooting to be 220. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. So, <laughs> but uh, I actually yeah. grew in college as well. I was um, I was five foot nine when I graduated high school. And then uh, I'm You're six pretty tall now. Yeah. So that was like, I put on six inches in college. Holy uh, cow. That's you know? like late. You're like, like a late sprout, you know? Yeah. And I guess my uncles did the same thing on my mom's side. So, um, yeah, I must've been related to that, but my 11 years already, my 11 year old Milo, he's already five foot one. So, um, you must not have that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's going to be like a freaking basketball player, seven foot or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. He'll like six foot something in high school and then hit the growth spurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's crazy. Playing basketball then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, that was the question that I always got growing up. Cause I was, I would say I was like six foot when I was a freshman and I I'm six two now. So I think over through high school, I, I, you know, gained that last bit, but, um, Everybody was always like, do you play basketball? And I'm like, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> nope. <So. laughs> that was always interesting. So anyways, so how did you go? Like, so you're doing all this kind of like di different stuff that you, you said. And did you make some kind of transition then and like straight into that and you just stuck with it or? It was, um, or were you still kind of like bouncing between the mountain biking and the, the like slip style kind of stuff or? No. Uh, so which transition, like from racing into like slope style and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was, so the race season ended in 2002. Um, wow. And I had, um, I did, that was the year I moved to Durango, Colorado, um, which was like a mountain bike pro hotspot, you know, that's where uh -huh. people go to, like it's a legendary mountain bike town, you know? And uh -huh. I think I had a, I think I got fifth place at Deer Valley in semi-pro that year. So I was going fast enough that um, I was like, well, I'll move to Colorado and um, I'll keep giving it a go. Um, and that fall, I think, I feel like that fall was the fall that I um, shot the first photo grinding a handrail. Um, mm -hmm on my dirt jump bike, um, which ended up being the cover of the magazine that came out in a flow magazine, which came out early 2003. And then in 2003, there was, um, crank works, like the first ever crank works at Whistler, which is a slope style and, you know, big jumps to flip and do tricks on and stuff. And, um, a series, and then there were some street riding contests and stuff like that. So, um, can you explain slope slope style for like people that maybe don't know what that is? Yeah. So it's, um, it, it's, comes from ski and snowboard slope style contests which are at, at a ski resort in the snowboard park um and it's basically a bunch of jumps and rails um 
or you know basically features to do stuff on so instead of like you know big air contest where you might do one jump and who does the best trick wins this right. is you know three or four or five jumps and like for the mountain bike thing it'd be like a, a box that you would do it or a step on step off uh like jump onto a box and then drop off of it and maybe mm -hmm. wall rides just features that you can ride and mm -hmm. so you're on how well you ride the course and do you look fluid and does it look good and um how hard the tricks are you're doing and how clean yeah, yeah okay like that so, um, so it's like one run down a hill with a bunch of jumps and tricks that you're doing and then you get to the bottom and okay that's then you're judged on that yep basically yeah. okay and so 2003 was the beginning of it um they called it joyride that year and then um in 2004 they called it crankworks and um and it basically has grown and grown and grown from there and it was it was in the x games at one point and it's yeah. uh you know what happened to the x games or, right yeah i don't Is that know even a thing anymore it's a thing, but it's smaller. Um, and I don't know. They, I've heard uh, that one of those things that dates us, dude. When we're talking about, it, you'd be like, "Yeah, you remember the X Games?" And people would be like, "Huh?" <laughs> yeah, still going on. So they did um, this winter. I mean, obviously, they had the actual X Games at Aspen with snow, and then they have summer X Games too. But um, they also they have a thing which is like X Games real snow that they did, and. Uh -huh. uh, there's an X Games real dirt, I believe, too, that they did with mountain bikes again this year. Um, but okay. it's basically like you have like a month to film a video part, and then the video parts are judged. Oh, uh, I see. Um, Interesting. So they're, you know, this year was a weird year, but there's um, they're still doing the actual X Games. Um, yeah. You remember when they started how kooky it was? They were like, they had like in the snow, they had modified shovel racing, and they had like the <laughs> they had street luge, like on the like laying down on those like skeleton like boards and yeah like, 80 miles an hour down a curvy road and they had all these I like remember being on like mtv it was like one of those things that you could like see like oh okay it's x games now you know but it was like they would have like sports that you gave a shit about you know like people that were like actually skating or mountain biking or something you yeah. know like you'd be like oh okay this is cool this is cooler than watching like baseball or something you know yeah for sure and they were I mean, it's uh, it's been kind of the biggest thing for all these sports for a while. Um, right. Now we're in the Olympics moving forward, but the X Games has been like the Olympics of basically like BMX and yeah, um, you know, snowboarding and skiing and stuff like that. So um, I always wanted to be in the X Games, and I was kind of by the time they had him mountain bike slope style in the X Games, I was at the end of like tapering down to where I wasn't really you know qualifying for finals anymore, and I was more uh -huh. on the side of things. Uh -huh. So missed out on that but um yeah yeah always been a, i was always a huge fan of the x games even though they you know it's on major tv so they're gonna make it kind of cheesy but um yeah still got to watch like now we have the internet <laughs> right but you got to watch the the best riders in the world do their best runs and yeah uh, yeah no that would that was definitely cool what do you think like, like go ahead oh i was gonna say i remember even at mountain bike slope styles um the whole, all of us that were competing in it would like uh -huh. crowd down to the bar when they were at the same time as the X Games. So we could watch like the live X Games feed of the BMX guys. Um, oh, nice. You know, doing the contest. That's pretty cool. cool. What do you think, like, as you got older and, and you said you weren't like qualifying anymore, do you think it is like just like the younger kids are just pushing harder? Or when you get older, you start to be like, I don't want to get hurt, you know, or like, what do you think that like contribute to that? It's a combination. I mean, you're still an amazing rider. It's not like you're not 
a badass, you know? Yeah. No, it's still, uh, it's, it's definitely a combination of things because on one hand you've got, uh, I mean, I remember being at the top and I think I was 30 years old, um, dropping in for my last Crankworks, And there were, um, there were uh, 15 year old Anthony Missouri was 15 years old doing double backflips, like higher than anybody was doing anything. Right. You know, <laughs> the home has nothing to think about or worry about. And is yeah. you know, fucking double backflips with an open face helmet. And I'm at the top, like kind of scared of the course. And like, if I do my best run possible, I might uh-huh. qualify. And, um, and that's still like gnarly stuff. Like you said, it's still like flipping or tail whipping a 20 foot step down or something, you know? Right. Um, right. It's not like, like, you're just like, ah, I'm freaking not feeling it anymore. I don't know. Like you're, you're <laughs> like a top level, like athlete. You're not like, uh, you know, some, somebody like me, you know what I mean? Like, so like, it, it's just interesting to, to hear like kind of what your perspective was on it. So like, you felt like it was just like the younger kids just have that like zero fear in their life and no, nothing else to do in their, with their life because they have nothing but time. So that's, or like, do you think maybe, I mean, also like, like your children, you're raising them with a bike riding that kind of stuff at like such a young age where they have like more years of experience by the time they're getting there. Or what what do you think? Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, the next generation always sees what the current generation is doing and surpasses them. Like there's, going to be riders that are going to make Brandon Timonuck and Brett Reader look like they, they don't know how to ride bikes, you know, in yeah. five years or whatever. And right. it's insane to think about at the time. But then when you look back, you're like, oh, right, that always, that is the cycle of what happens. And yeah. uh, and then you combo that with, um, yeah, like they've they've got nothing to lose, first of all, and they want to be that top dog. And yeah. on top of that, they've just got time. Like they're yeah. – do is go to school and ride their bikes and that's yeah, all they have yeah. to worry about. And so, you know, everyone that's been in it, you've, you know, you've got life and a mortgage. And at the time I had my first son was born. And so I'm yeah. like, you know, yeah, you don't you, bringing any- your back and being a quadriplegic for the rest of your life doesn't seem as like a big of a deal <laughs> or it seems like yeah. a bigger deal, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because I don't think I've changed my risk tolerance or management really since having kids. Like I've always been, um, I think about things a lot before I do them. So I don't think uh-huh. I'm necessarily like, okay, because I have this, a kid, I'm less, uh, less likely to be risky. It's, it's, it's more of that just, just plays into my general risk management strategy of like yeah. not getting hurt anymore. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. I've like always- they, they add up. And so yeah, you, you do the risk reward, um, equation in your head, you know, cost right. analysis real quick. Right. Yeah. yeah, I've always been more like I'm gonna wait until I'm really confident that I know that I can like 100% do whatever it is I'm gonna try to do, you know. And and for the most part, I'm not a guy that wrecks a lot, you know, because of that probably. Yeah. But, um, I definitely um don't jump into like where maybe that's where other people can push their skill set a lot quicker because of that. They have a different perspective, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, no. I tell you what, the first time that I like really injured myself wasn't because I messed up like one of my pieces of hardware, like I, my fork broke and it threw me over the bars and I separated my shoulders and or shoulder. And um, 
having like six months where I couldn't ride my bike completely changed even the way that I rode before where like I, I rode fast as hell and pretty, you know, loose, but wasn't ever worried because I knew I was always keeping in control. And then when that happened, it was like, oh, wait, there's some shit outside of your control, man, that can happen. And and that'll that'll really screw you up, you know? Yeah, it took that's... me a while to get back to kind of where I'm at now. I'm riding probably where I was before that happened. And that was a couple of years ago, you know? That's like PTSD stuff, though. Like, yeah, like you're probably never going to be able to fully trust a fork again. Right? Yeah. I don't really think about a fork in particular, but it's just it makes me think about just the gear, you know, like, well, if yeah. I hit this big jump, like this could be the day that my handlebar snaps, yeah. you know, or. You know, but on the other hand, it's like I've had some stuff happen even since then. Like I was riding, I think it was a couple months ago, and um, I snapped one of my um, my uh, my crank arms just came right off. Like I, and I had heard it while I was riding, and I was thinking like, oh man, something like needs to be lubed or something because I kept hearing this like, you know, because it's carbon. Yeah, and I came off this little drop, just a small one. It was like maybe. I don't know, 12 inches or something like that. And uh, on a trail and, and it just, my foot came off and hit the ground. And, but that's like, what, what I'm getting at is like that happened and I actually didn't get hurt. But in my mind, if you were telling me, Hey, you're riding downhill and you're hauling ass and your freaking crank arm is going to break in my head, I'd be thinking, Oh man, I'd be screwed. You know? Yeah. So yeah I think, like, Cause you don't even think that it could happen. Um, right. Until you've had it happen. And right. yeah, I'm, I'm super, um, paranoid with my bikes. I don't really let anybody else work on them. And I, uh, yeah. go through everything all the time and I look for stuff and cause I mean, especially coming from, uh, you know, riding bikes in the nineties and early two thousands when stuff did break all the time. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> and like people now that like just got into mountain biking in the last couple of years, they've like, they got into the golden era. Like things are yeah. awesome now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The bikes are dialed, man, compared to what, I mean, I always tell people when I started, it was like, riding a road bike with knobby tires and the flat bar. I yeah. mean, that's essentially what we were riding. And um, oh, I was thinking so, about, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, there's so much stuff too. Like the, do you remember the era of uh, suspension forks where they put plastic top caps on them and they would randomly, like if you landed a drop, shoot out and hit you in the face or the oh, throat or whatever. That was a thing. <laughs> that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking when you were talking about it earlier, you had said something about like when you were starting or whatever. And I was thinking, man, if you showed me like the trail that I rode an hour ago, if you showed that to 15 year old Rob, that was just getting into mountain biking, you know, back in the nineties, I would have told you there is absolutely no way anybody could ride that trail. Right. You know, and, and the, the way that the bikes have changed, over time is what really lets us do that. It's not like I'm such a phenomenal rider that compared to what I was then, you know, it's just the, the bikes have made the trails be, be able to become this like gnarly, steep, rocky, like bullshit that you know, <laughs> somehow we can go ride down now, you know? Totally. I was just listening to uh, Sam Hill's podcast on the vital MTB one the other day. Uh -huh. Um, I think it was this week's actually. Um, anyway, he was like, he's like, I'll bet if I could ride my current enduro bike that he's racing enduros on now, mm -hmm. he would smoke his times from, you know, 15 years ago. Um, 
yeah. on what were the best downhill bikes in the world then. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just things like brakes, for example, like how much they've changed. And, and it's one of those things that you don't really, like you kind of take for granted now how, how they are until you go jump on, you know, one of those cheap bikes that are out there or somebody's like really old one, like with old cantilever, like V brakes on it or something. You're like, Holy shit, these things don't stop. You no. know? Like, they, yeah. they like slow you down. They don't stop. <laughs> yeah. They just work perfect all the time now. And they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as you were going through your career, you obviously have ridden for a few other bike brands. How did you end up coming to work with Diamondback? So uh, Haro ended in 2010. Um, I was with them for four years, and that was kind of as the Great Recession was, um, you know, kind of wrecking everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I got a call. Um, it was Thanksgiving week. It was like two days before Thanksgiving. And the, my team manager, she felt terrible. Um, she was like the factory, you know, the, the ownership in uh, Taiwan, they called and um, they're like killing basically all marketing, all teams, everything like going into survival mode. And, oh, yeah. you know, when November rolls around as a professional athlete in the or pro mountain biker, if you don't have a contract, like, you're in a bad place. Um, those are usually done by like interbike, like back in September, or at least yeah. you know, agreed, like verbally agreed upon whether or not you get a contract done. Right. So if that's happening in November or whatever, you're kind of like, oh, I'm screwed. Yeah. You're like, oh no, what, what's, what am I going <laughs> to Um, I'd always, you know, I, again, I've learned a lot from Lenoski over the years. And, um, one of the things he had taught me was to never have, you know, try not to be, all in with one company to where all of your income depends on them. So like yeah. if you're, say a factory race team rider, that's where they would line up the comp the bike company lines up the co-sponsors and then pays the athlete the, the whole amount. Mm -hmm. And if this situation happens, you have nothing. And so I've always had it to where it's a frame sponsor and then part sponsors. And it works really well for a number of reasons outside of that too, because then you can kind of, do different projects with different companies and you're not just mm -hmm. kind of, again, like down walking down this one hallway basically. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I knew I could, uh, I could pull off a year if I needed to, um, with just the co-sponsors, but, um, looked around a bunch, talked to everybody I knew. And again, it was like Thanksgiving week and then everyone's kind of starting to check out for Christmas anyway. Um, right. but I knew this is actually a cool story. Um, so the, the head of marketing for Iron Horse, who was my very first bike sponsor, um, and he was his name is Chris Spire, and he was the one who had to um, cut me from the Iron Horse team because they were actually funny that to mention Sam Hill because Sam Hill, Bryn Axon, Jared Graves, they were the Iron Horse Mad Cats team, and um, they won everything, and uh, <laughs> they had to pay out Sam's bonuses that. Uh, <laughs> Nobody thought they would have to, uh, you know, pay out basically. And they were just out of money. And um, I think they were going like all in on race anyway. Um, so uh -huh. doing didn't fit in as well with soap style and freestyle type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he was, he felt really bad um, when he had to cut me from the team. And because I had a signature bike with them at the time too. And mm -hmm. 
and I took it really well and had a great conversation with him and, um, and he just left, you know, feeling really good about it. Like I was like, Hey, this is, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm going to be yeah. good, gonna be good. And let's keep in touch. Like this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I handled it really well, basically when I had every right to be pissed off and like, right. What do you mean? I've got this. I, Cause I had an awesome year that year and right. I did, I did, I held up my end of the deal and then I was right. Good. Right. Um, so then, uh, it turns out that four years later, he was then the, uh, I think it was uh, VP or of marketing or CEO, one of the two high up, uh, upper management at Diamondback. And uh, I got a hold of him and he was like, you know what? Uh, I've been waiting for you to call me. Like I, I was like, if you ever called me, I'd have a place for you. And uh, oh, nice. sure enough, uh, he connected me with the then team manager, John Kennedy. And um, yeah, got, got on Diamondback then. And it's been, this is my 11th year now. Um, wow, you've been with them for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. And it was one of those things where, again, it was during the recession. So I had to take, you know, solid pay cut, even though I was doing my end of the deal and doing really yeah. good. Lots of coverage and everything. Um, but was able to, you know, again, make uh, a program that we could both grow with together. And um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And so it's, you know, I like to tell that story to kids too, like, you know, just be a good person to everybody. It's 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 yeah. uh, everyone says you know it's not that hard and you're like well in those situations where you're kind of you know potentially losing the dream uh, yeah it is hard um so yeah. keep your head up and look for the positives in every situation because anytime like one door is closing it's always uh you got two paths you know like you can either be pissed about it and get negative or you can be positive and be like okay how is this an opportunity for me you know? Yeah, I found in my life that most things that I thought were shitty when they happen, I can look back on and think about how they like played out well for me. Totally. You know, and, and that's one of the things that then, you know, you as you see that a few times as you're growing older, you're like, it's not worth wasting your time being upset about A, you can't change it. Yeah. And B, like most of the time after a bunch of time goes by, you're like, oh, that was actually kind of you know, it was fortunate I lost that job because I ended up getting this one and then I'm like super happy or, you know, whatever the situation was or, you know, it made you grow as a person or whatever. And um, I don't know. I just don't like to spend my time being angry either. You know, <laughs> it's just not worth it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's how I ended up on Diamondback. And it was 100% like the came down to the one person that, you know. I was yeah. a good person too. And he was a good person to me. And we ended up working together again because it's a small industry. Um, yeah, no, it totally is. I mean, even the other day um, I had Revel bikes on. Yeah. And um, when I first reached out to them about getting on the show, the guy that's their head of marketing was like, yeah, dude, I totally know who you are. I watch your podcast because I, I used to pay, follow you because of some video that I did for I-9. He used to be I-9's guy. Oh, nice. So, like, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, so it's like one of those things where, you, like you said, it's a small, small industry, you know? Yeah. You know, so the more friends that you make, the, the, and the better, you know, relationships that you keep over time, it, it plays out, you know? So, yeah. How, how did you go about getting the sponsorships where you're going, particularly with like individual brands compared to, um, like, one one place sponsoring you like 
So I'm assuming when you're saying that, instead of being like, hey, Haro is sponsoring me for X amount of dollars a year, and they are the ones that are pulling in Shimano or SRAM or whoever, like you're instead saying, hey, give me a frame. And then you're reaching out, like, did you just already have established relationships with companies like Shimano or somebody else that you could reach out to? Or did you start that way? It start. It kind of just organically grew that way. So um, I basically, actually when I was racing, um, I was getting frames. Uh, I got a couple of frames from Iron Horse. So I was kind of like working my way in. Uh, uh -huh. And then, uh, so it kind of started out as like, flow with the, a couple frames and then so i kind of had to uh reach out to other sponsors to build up a bike and um mm -hmm. and so and actually one of the um joel smith from manitou at the time who's uh he was the editor of um mountain old mountain bike magazine back in the day and his dad's malcolm smith like legendary you know moto and bike family um, yeah and tomac bikes and Awesome guy. Anyway, he, uh, that was my first kind of cold call of, uh, after that cover came out, I just mm -hmm. got a call one day. Hey, this is Joel from Manitou. Um, basically we'd love to sponsor you. And so that was, so I kind of had things coming in and basically from the very beginning pieced together a program. So I was able uh -huh. to, um, That's super cool. and then once I mean, you learn how to do that, you're like, okay, I can, I could do that. And it's more work for sure. Like that's one of the great things about having a factory deal. If you're a racer or a soap stock guy or whatever, and you know, that, that can play in two directions there because if you, uh, then you can focus 100% on everything else and you don't have to think about the business side as much or yeah, yeah. agents now too. That wasn't as much of a thing. Um, back then, but a lot of the, um, racers and, um, soap stock guys have agents now to, figure it all out too. Right. So they can just go ride their bike. Yeah. <laughs> I need an agent yeah. for my, my YouTube channel. <laughs> Seriously, it's uh, and an editor and a filmer. Right? right. Yeah. You're like, if I can just talk on camera and ride my bike, that'd be nice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I feel like BKXE nailed it right now with the girlfriend. Seems like she's like, she must be filming for him. Cause he's got all these extra like B roll kind of like third person <laughs> shots and stuff. I'm like, Oh, that's how you do it. I try to talk my lady into holding the camera and she's like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> yeah. Filming a bit more, which has been awesome. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, it's a there's, it's a steep learning curve, you know, um, there's yeah. a lot to learn with how to shoot. It's yeah. definitely harder than just holding a camera, but, um, she's doing awesome. And That's so, awesome, you know, that was another one of those, like, you know, when COVID hit a year ago or a little over a year ago now, you know, you could, uh, a lot of people had it a lot worse off, um, than, than us here too, um, for yeah. sure. But we looked at it like how, how can we, you know, grow from this and not just be mad that we can't travel or can't do yeah. anything, we can't see our friends. And we kind of looked inward and we're like, well, let's just hang out in the backyard with the family. And yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah, she's she's been helping out with that too, which has been been great. That's awesome, man. I, I honestly, I aside from the like, not being able to go places and stuff like, the whole COVID situation, it's been pretty cool for me, man. Like I can work from home and like, because of that, my schedule is a little more fluid so I can ride a lot more or, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I'm like, I'm finally working at home and keeping it the way it is. Just let me go to a restaurant every once in a while, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of upsides to it for sure. It's been, yeah. um, you know, I was traveling about 100, 120 days a year since I was, um, I don't know, probably went to college, I guess, if you count those, you know, racing days and being away. Yeah. I've been on the road a lot for a long time and even yeah. with the kids. So it's been, uh, you know, a, a forced pause from that travel has been great, even though like I miss it and I love going around to like the, some of the craziest places in the world and like riding these wild places or even, you know, around the country and, you mm -hmm. know, riding with you in Sedona and hanging out and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I, I do miss all that stuff, but um, we're fortunate to live in a, pretty great place and it's been fun uh learning how to you know be with just your family for the whole year and kids yeah. homeschool and like again like just like you you know based out of the house all together yeah yeah for a year and figure yeah. it out no it's definitely been cool in that aspect being able to like spend a lot of time with the people that you love you know <laughs> so yeah that's that's not a bad thing at least not in my eyes you know <laughs> no not at all i was starting to feel that way like if you know um like we were talking about before we started recording how quickly the kids grow up and I'm like, my kids are nine and 11. So they're still pretty young and they, they still like me and <laughs> hanging yeah. out with me. They haven't gotten into the teenage years when they're like, think they're too cool. And yeah. so uh, it was, it's been great to um, just further make these awesome relationships with them and have, have some of the best days ever. Yeah. 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 I also got the trail trail building bug this during the whole COVID thing too. So that, that occupied a bunch of my time as well. Nice. How did you, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that I was going to get addicted to that, but now it's like getting hot out here and the trail that I was building is is done, basically. I mean, there's some tweaks that can, I think there's probably always going to be tweaks, but yeah. um, I, I feel like, like I can kind of put it to rest until next fall or winter, you know? Yeah. So... But I'm also like, it's like on one hand, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired of freaking cutting trees down and like, you know, moving rocks and stuff. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I'm going to miss it. You know? yeah. It comes in, uh, it's got to come in it waves, you know, like if you yeah. go too hard for too long, you burn out and then you're done with it. And yeah. Yeah. yeah and I definitely have that personality that tries to go a little overboard. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're lucky to have winter here to um, kind of force those decisions for us. Um, right. So, you know, I basically, I don't ride that much in the winter other than a few desert trips. Um, but I still love snowboarding and skiing so much that, you know, kind of, I think I'd go crazy if I was somewhere where it was just mountain biking 12 months a year and like yeah. always be good for that. I think I would, um, I wouldn't love it as much. Like I need that, like, forced separation from it you know right yeah no, yeah you're, not anymore. And you're like but those are my favorite trails like especially my favorite ones are the ones at ten thousand feet here in utah that are only melted off like three months a year you know yeah so it makes them special i think that's what it how it works for me here because i am almost riding all year i am i'm riding all year i, I used to like mountain bike in the summer and, and ski in the winter and, and but now for whatever reason Long story short, I'm mountain biking most of the year, yeah. but it's being broken up the way that you said because of weather. Like I can't do any of the high altitude stuff here because it's all under snow. So when that happens, then it forces me to ride all the stuff down here and closer to the coast. And then yeah. I'll drive, you know, to Santa Cruz and ride down there instead of driving to Tahoe and riding up there. So yeah, it kind you of, uh, 
happens. Yeah, it kind of breaks it up that way. But I do miss skiing. It's just, it's gotten so expensive now. I'm like, I looked, man, the lady a couple of weeks ago, we were like, hey, let's go skiing today. And it was like $150 a lift ticket. It's like insane. 300 bucks for the two of us to go to a, for the day. And that's, you know, you like go up there, you get a couple of beers or you get lunch or whatever. It's like, it's like a $500 day. You know, I don't know how, uh, how people go on vacations. That's like a 10, $20,000 vacation to right? go, you know, ski. And yeah, they changed the model now. So it's like, you know, passes, day tickets used to not be that bad, but now they make it like, it's up to, I think it's over 200 bucks a day at Park City and Vail and Holy cow. Um, at least during the holidays, um, wow. which is ludicrous. And then yeah. passes, like if I buy next year's season pass right now, it's like five or 600 bucks. Yeah, so, that's the thing. They're like trying to force you to get that season pass. They just want you coming back. Because like you said, they know once you're there, you're going to be like, you know, uh, let's uh, let's get dinner and let's get yeah. this and you know rent our gear yeah. and like spend like the, they just got to get you there so they can suck all the rest of the money out of you <laughs> right? and, yeah uh, the yeah, other it used to be back in the day like when we were young it used to be like a season pass was like a ridiculous amount of money and that's why you didn't buy it because you had to you know what i mean because it was like oh it was like 30 bucks to go ski for the day you know yeah yeah and it was like two grand for a season pass to yeah you're like no way i'm buying that you know yeah and then they realize that they're more likely to get your money if you're there more often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then know. they buy all the Midwest resorts too. And so then they're like, so like even where I grew up, it's owned by Vail now. And yeah. anyway, there's like two or three companies that own them all. And yeah. so they're like, okay, well, you know, if this is where you ski in the Midwest or the East, you've already got a free, free lift tickets. If you go out to Vail, all you got to do is come out. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did, I mean, even in Tahoe, they've done that where it's like, because back in the day, that would be one of the, re, the the excuses that you would use for not buying a season pass is like, well, I want to go like to different resorts. You know, there's like 12 resorts up there. I want to ski at all of them during the season because there's certain right. runs that I like. So yeah. it's like, I'm not committing to a season pass. I'm just buying day passes or whatever. But now it's like you can get a season pass at one place and it works at like five of them. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, now that makes sense. You know, yeah. and then yeah. the thing that you said too, like, oh, well, I I could go to to Vail and ski over there still, and like, yeah, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see how much the mountain biking industry gets into the ski resorts. Man, we've been fighting for so long to get in more, and I I still don't understand why it's not bigger than it is, especially with the seasons. I mean, how many seasons did Tahoe just like barely even open? Right. And and then North Star is still not like any better than it was, I don't know, five, 10 years ago for their bike park. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Like family's mountain bike. And we know this now, you know, yeah. like, numbers. And they even like Vale owns uh, Whistler. They see the numbers of how well Whistler's doing in the summer, how their condos and hotels are booked up and people are yeah. buying and season passes so i i honestly still don't get it um deer valley has put a lot into it here they got um gravity logic hired and they're building a new awesome trail every year and so they're it's still it's slow growth because it's dirt and you're like building infrastructure and trails and it's expensive um yeah but it, that's got to be the thing it's just got to be the cost you know like awesome. like with the the ski resorts for the most part it's like put the lift system in and then the snow does most of the work for you right yeah, yeah. 
and it's well i think there's a lot of things i mean like you can just go mountain biking you yeah. know you, like people don't just go skiing they you need a chairlift and a groomer and a, yeah. like, all yeah. so they've kind of got you locked in there i mean i, I a, a lot of people have gotten into split boarding and ski touring lately because they want to get out of that system and go basically mountain biking really right. like you just go out and you put skins on and you climb up and then you ski back down and yeah. you're out yourself and it's rad. Yeah. Uh, so more people than ever are kind of able to break out of that. Um, but I think with mountain biking, there's, you know, it, it's a pretty self-sufficient sport. You can just go do it. You don't need a bike park to do it. But yeah. once you've ridden Deer Valley or Whistler or somewhere like that, you're like, oh, wow, that's totally different. And uh, yeah. these awesome jump trails and whatever else. Um and just the reps you can get of, you know, not even having to worry about shuttling or anything. So they're, they're pretty awesome. Um, and I think they're going to continue to grow. Like what else are they going to do? Like golf is only going to get so many people to come there with their, like, if you want families, you got to commit to summer sports that families do, which like we've seen, you can't even get a bike right now. Like mountain biking, yeah. it's a big sport now. And um, yeah. so yeah, hopefully, no you know, it, it comes around. I mean, I know Deer Valley is seeing good return on investment there. So they're finally, they're, I mean, they're continuing to invest, which is awesome to see. They must be getting it a little bit though. I mean, like, cause that company, I'm pretty sure it's the same company that owns Vale or Vale. Is, like they put that spider mountain in down in Texas. Did they? You know? That's cool. It, it's I can't remember which resort. It's, it's one of the big names though. They're the ones that yeah. built that. So, I mean, it's so, for them to do something like that, where they're putting in a lift, lift system and trails for something that's not even going to be a ski resort. Yeah. Got to be catching on. You know what I mean? I mean, it's happening, but it's like, <laughs> I've been going to Whistler for 20 years and uh, like, we've known it's awesome for a long time. And you're like, come on people. Like let's, let's yeah. do that. And, but yeah. it's happening, you know, like mountain Creek's been doing it in New Jersey. Highland is, uh, you know, Highland, I think is maybe an example of what things will look like 50 years from now, because that used to be a ski resort. And then now it's just a bike park and they close not ski anymore. Yeah. They close in the winters and it's incredible. And, um, huh. you know, Woodward too. Um, there's an, the new Woodward park city here. It's, it's super cool. Cause it's, uh, they have bike. It's a, like, I don't know, 400 foot hill. So it's not a big hill. It's quick laps, but in the winter they have the best terrain park in the area. And yeah. so all the pros are there, all the Red Bull monster guys, everyone like the, you know, top pros, they're all just lapping. So you can just go show up and buy a date. I mean, you got Woodward Tahoe there too. So it's the same thing, yeah. you know? And, uh, and then in the summer it's a bike park and training facility and everything. So, and they see that, that there's families coming and they've invested in it. So it's, it's cool to see and it's happening. It's just in my opinion, uh, like not fast it, enough not fast enough at all. Cause it doesn't like the trails don't get incredible overnight. It takes yeah. time. And like Whistler's the best because they've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Like road Whistler from 2003 or four now, you know, it was probably garbage, but it was just the best that we had then. Yeah. So it was awesome. And, uh, I mean, you it, could, you could get a ton of people. I mean, you put in, let's just call it a green trail, right? Like top to bottom. Like I'm thinking of how mellow, some of the green runs are on skis, right? You know, you could take any family with Walmart bikes. They could go up there and ride that down and it would be fun. 
Yeah. You know I what think- I mean? Like everybody knows how to ride a fucking bike, right? You know, like, and you, you can make something that simple and people are like, man, I want to do that. That's fun. Let's do it over and over again, you know? And uh, yeah. yeah. Super good point. That's a big part of what actually I think slowed it down for a while because um, they were building high level trails for the shredders and then people were getting hurt. Um, and then, I, I mean, in the nineties, trails were hard and technical and rocky and nasty and the bike sucked. And yeah. um, <laughs> I, they, I don't know, someone probably looked at some early numbers and was like, people are getting broke off here all the time. And yeah. Because there was no good way to progress. And even, yeah. I don't even know how we got into the sport back then. Cause like I said, the trails were hard and you crashed and like got flat tires and like it was not an easy experience. Like no. if you put on a new awesome bike now and send them down a new, like the green trail up at Deer Valley is, uh, it's called uh, Holy Roller. And it's like mm-hmm. four miles long of the smoothest, like perfect holds you in, like rollers, like. I started with my kids there when they were like, I don't know, four or something. And they would yeah. just laugh and be cooked. But it was the best, like the highlight of their whole summer, you know. And, right. and we take, you know, journalists will come to town. And then I'll take them, someone from like, I don't know, like New York Times or something who doesn't ride bikes. And I'll take one of them down that trail. And they'll be like, that was the best experience I've ever had. Because yeah. if, and you have to have those trails. Yeah. Uh, the flow trails that they're building everywhere that you know the hardcore yeah. are like turning everything into sidewalks and you're like well we need those too we need some of everything yeah. so the sport can survive you know i like you know i totally hear what you're saying there i and i agree i'm, I'm gonna pivot a little bit um i i i at one point was one of those guys that bitched about flow too like i remember when they first started coming out i'm like because there were some trails that i liked that were kind of chunky that got turned into flow trails and it would be like, are you serious? Like that was the, that was the fun trail, you know? And, and um, I think that's what started it. But now I just look at it as like, it's a different skill set. You know what I mean? Cause like, if you don't ride that stuff, like where I was riding yesterday was more like that, like yeah. berms and like flow. And you have to know how to pump. You have to know how to corner. You have to know how to like, you can't come into this thing just jamming your brakes until you're almost stopped or the berm's not going to work at all. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so, you know, so like I take those opportunities and those trails to learn that skill set now. And I just look at it as that, you know, and some days you do that. And then other days you go out on shit that rattles your teeth out of your mouth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's taken me uh, um, a lot of uh, time and experience and I don't know, um, stuff to kind of come to terms with all of it too, because you're like, well, we need smoother trails to help get people into it. So that the sport survives. So that there's new riders coming in and everything. Um, and there's also the evolution of trails, you know, trails that were built 20 years ago, uh, get eroded and get chunky and nasty. And for it to be a sustainable trail for longer than, you know, whatever, it's going to have to get fixed and rerouted. So it doesn't turn into like just a straight down drainage. That's whatever. So there's, <laughs> kind of an evolution of the life cycle of trails too. Um, And then I've started to think like maybe it's a a bit of a model of like the stuff closer to town is a little bit more friendly. And as you get a little bit harder to access, it gets into a little bit more rough and nasty and difficult. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's good to have stuff for everybody. And, you know, we're with our local trails here, park city has a lack of difficult trails. So we're trying to, you know, 
get trails with bigger jumps and with nastier stuff. And then you go up to like Bellingham or, you know, North Shore or whatever, and they've got an abundance of the nastiest stuff in the world. <laughs> in the North Shore, they're, you know, the original trail builders that built this crazy nasty stuff have kids and they're like, I don't have anywhere to ride with my kid. I guess I better build a smoother trail. <laughs> it's, you know, everyone's kind of figuring out as we go, but um, I get it. Like I, nobody wants to like have their favorite rough Rudy smash section that they've been riding for years show up in the next day. It's a sidewalk. Um, yeah. I get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I know like, I mean, the trail that I've been working on is stupid nasty and it's definitely not sustainable, you know, but it's like, it's, it's funny because what you consider hard is really relative to your yeah. skill set. You know, and like some of the trails that I'm taking to get to where my trail is, is like trails that I used to consider like real mountain bike trails, you know, and now I'm like, yeah, those are like cross country trails or like you take your family out there, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, it's funny how those like how as your skill progresses that the things that you look at as well really change too, you know, and um it's hard to remember how that other stuff feels to people that have, or that are new to the sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How, does your uh, wife ride your girlfriend ride? Yeah. Yeah. My, my lady rides. Yeah. Yeah. So we've all been in that situation where you're like, Oh, this trail is awesome. You're going to love it. And <laughs> he's like, what the hell did you take me on? And yeah. you're like, Oh, I guess that's not as smooth as <laughs> whoops. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Cause in my head, it'll be like, Oh, there's this one section that's hard. And other than that, it's easy. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, you can just walk through that. And then as soon as we get on the trail, I'm like, Oh, I forgot about this and this and this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause that doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I did it. Um, I still, I did it last year and I did it 20 years ago or whatever. <laughs> I remember the first year Garbanzo opened like the upper lift at Whistler and Megan was up in Whistler for Crankworks with me. And, she was riding some downhill at the time and um, a decent rider. And then I did laps with a couple other um, riders at my level at high speed up on the upper mountain. And so I didn't even, I didn't even see stuff that was there. Cause I was just following people that knew the trail going fast. And I was like, that was so much fun. And you, and when you're going fast, the trail smooths out because you're yeah. skipping over stuff. And yeah, uh, that was a terrible decision to take her up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't, but you don't realize that until you ride it at a slower speed with someone who doesn't have that level of experience or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I, <laughs> and the bike, laugh. you said, or the bikes are make the trails easier now. Yeah, yeah. Over the last few years, I've almost every year had somebody that I was taking out on trails that is was brand new, and that's really helped kind of reset my head again and like realize that. There's so much that we take for granted. Like when you're trying to tell somebody that's new into riding about like dropping their dropper and braking and changing the gears and actually riding the fucking bike, like that's too many places of input for them, you know, yeah. you, you know, and, and, uh, when you're trying to explain it to them, you're like, Oh, just drop your dropper and then change the gear. And then you do this. And then you just break like this and make sure you put your body like this. And they're like, you can see their face just be like, like, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's some sort of there's something like that where people can only take 
two or maybe three pieces of information at, at once, you know? Right. Right. That's it. So if you go beyond that, they're, they're lost. And um, yeah, it's a lot that I've learned a lot teaching my kids how to ride um, yeah. and, you know, creating fun experiences for them and planning a ride. That's like at, at their level to just make sure I'm not constantly throwing them into the deep end and letting them figure yeah. it out, you know? So it's, yeah, it makes you look at a trail differently. That's for sure. When you're, yeah, when my kids were little, I, I started out with like, I pulled them into like a little buggy and then I had one of those tag alongs. Did you do one of those tag along things? I did. Um, yeah, we had like the chariot or whatever from, yeah. um, what toolie or whatever that, uh, where they like the kids would sit in the trailer and then yeah. when they were really little and then when they got a bit bigger, I had that green seat one that goes on the top tube. They've gotten even. I can't remember what they're called, but they've gotten even better now to where it's like a, a little seat and foot pegs and stuff. But yeah, I've seen that just to the handlebars. So it, this was like the, um, the green seat one that would mount to the handlebars. And, um, <clears throat> so then my kids would be like sitting like their heads, like right here and yeah, uh, in my arms. So they'd kind of get the same feelings. And I never, I never mountain biked much with it, like very minimal, but I'd ride around town a lot and like some gravel paths and yeah, I just didn't, I didn't want to risk it, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but they got the feelings of, you know, kind of carving. And I think Milo's yeah. fifth word was, uh, carving. Cause I'd say, you want to go carving and yeah. we go out on these streets and just carve turns. And you know, that feeling of like hooking in and like feeling the yeah. G's compressions and, um, nice. I that from an early age and it was just, it's a cool feeling, you know? Right on. Yeah, I, I I didn't have one of those handlebar things. I went from the buggy thing to that tag along bike. So they like they're oh, like connected yeah. to you with like one wheel and they have pedals and a handlebar. Yeah, how'd that work? That worked out pretty good. I mean, I would just be like on fire roads or something like that. But it was cool for me because I could still like you know, when you're when you have young kids, like getting in ride time is not always the easiest, especially yeah. when you have a full time job too and stuff. So it would be like, Oh, well, I can go out and ride around these fire roads or whatever and get, you know, some miles in and they're happy and I'm happy. And then yeah, so on and so forth. So my son mountain bikes with me and still, and, and it's kind of cool. Like when he comes home now, he's in the military, like comes home, he's like, let's go on a mountain bike ride, you know? And that's like, that's pretty neat to have, you know, that kind of thing. That's my daughter awesome. never really got into it. She, she would ride road with us sometimes, but she'd like to go skiing more. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've always looked at it like just going to back them at what they want to do. And, you know, for now yeah. they're, they're into, we've, we've had them play all the team sports and stuff and try that too, to give them a, give them a go at the other stuff that uh, I'm not personally as into, but um, yeah. just see if what, what sticks with them. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's always been to just support them at what they want to do and provide opportunities kind of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's good. It's good stuff though. I mean, I think that, getting kids to do anything outside it sets them up for you know good life life um not life goals but like a good way to like live life you know people that have never done things outdoors they don't tend to get into them let's just say statistically as they get older you know so i i think things of like my mom used to tell me drink water all the time when I was a kid and I thought it was ignorant and, and stupid, but now I'm an adult and I drink water all the time. I'm happy about it. Right. You know, so it's the same kind of thing where it's like you take your kids out hiking or you take them out riding bikes and there's a point in, li in life where they, you know, maybe want to go 
party or whatever, but they'll come back to that. And, and I think there's, there's, um, there's good things about that, man. I mean, like, I want to say it's scientifically proven, like being out in nature, it just makes your freaking like your head straight. You know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. I went to Scotland a couple of years ago and they have doctors can prescribe you mountain biking and hiking and stuff. Uh, they're like, you know what you need? You need to get out and be on a trail. <laughs> And so they've, uh, you know, invested a lot in trails because of that, because they realize that it makes a healthier, happier population. Um, And I think for kids, it's, you know, it does two things. First of all, if you're, you know, any sports, like you said, is good. Anytime a kid's outside doing something, it's good for them. It's good for their brain and their health and everything. Um, But specifically what we do, it's a lifetime activity. So you don't need a team to go mountain biking. And no do these sports sometimes it's good to do by yourself man it's good to like like, i call it single track therapy man i like sometimes i need to get out and get on a bike and do three hours of shitty climbs that make me just sit and get in my head but you get done man you sure don't feel bad anymore you know yeah for sure and then the other thing that's huge is it gives them uh i don't think anything builds confidence like mountain biking and skiing does because you're constantly introducing yourself to scary situations that it's completely in your hands to pull off. And, uh, you know, that there's just when, when your life and limb is on the line and you pull it off, that's the best feeling in the world. Right? Like that's why oh, we, hell yeah. you, we got riding to scare ourselves a little bit and pull it right. off. Most of the time you do. And if you don't usually go for a tumble and you're fine. Um, but, but I think uh, it's one of the best ways to build confidence in kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that as adults, people get back into biking because you remember that first time you remember that hill in between your house and wherever that was that you used to ride your bike that you could never get up, yeah. you know, and you still remember to this day that first time that you got up that hill on that bike and you were like, Oh my God, I did it. Like yeah. I did it. You know, like that feels really good. So oh, yeah. I think that's the thing that people, when they get back on a bike as an adult, people that maybe weren't into it really when they were younger, but that's what brings it back. It's like, makes you feel like a kid again, you totally. know? Yep. That's the, that's what it all comes back to. Like, I mean, riding in the rain, like how, what makes you feel like a kid more than riding in the rain? Like once you've given up trying to stay dry. Now the first right. part that like when you're like dodging puddles and you're like trying to, like right. make it out without being completely soaked. But the minute that you give in and you're like, I'm screwed. I'm going to, I'm going to be 100% soaked by the end of this ride. Uh, yeah. you start smashing puddles. Yeah. You tend to like, you know, back to being 15 years old or whatever. And it's yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I remember those rides whenever I was a younger kid and just like find the biggest puddle. Let's just go ride right through it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had, I hadn't had one of those in a while because uh, in Utah, pro- I don't know if um, your area is the same, but uh, our trails they'll they rut up if you, you just can't ride them in the mud. Um, yeah, so rut up and then they'll dry and it won't rain for a month and you have these deep ruts. Yeah, we don't get to ride in the like in the rain here very much. But um, yeah. <clears throat> when I was out visiting Seth in the fall and uh, I rode with uh, our friends uh, Daniel and Mangler and. Uh, we got, I mean, like my shoes were still wet when I got back to Utah. It was the last ride of the trip. And they were like, it was 
100% everything soaked despite wearing Gore-Tex and everything somehow like yeah soaked 100% through to the bone it was um but it was the best but we're like we were laughing and it was the best ride ever too yeah those are those are good times we we were we're fortunate out here i mean we have some places you can't ride in in the rain um but we have some other places that drain really well and you know the soil or whatever it doesn't really pedal up and so yeah i mean it doesn't rain a ton out here either so it's like yeah you know so i don't know i I would imagine back home in pennsylvania there was probably a lot of time that you couldn't ride because it got too wet or something but yeah i mean they're known for like pa and east coast and kentucky even like known for like rudy and rocky and wet and nasty yeah and, like growing up riding there you learned how to ride yeah <laughs> you know it's how to ride dust and like the stuff we know how to ride now <laughs> yeah right it's funny that you say that and i just kind of thought about it as you were saying like that's probably why i like riding what i like riding like i like that super chunky like stupid stuff and it probably comes from like that's what i started on you know and that's what was really challenging and I, I guess I, I never really put that together. <laughs> yeah, those trails are nasty out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And now it's funny too, because like right now we're going through like the great change out here in California. So we had like hero dirt for the last month or two because it would rain. And now it's like turning everything into dust, the, 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 the dust over hard pack kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm noticing I have like, I'm riding like shit right now because my brain hasn't like recalculated how my tires hook up yet. Yeah. You know? It doesn't and, and how, yet. How, how I can't break or I can't like just jam this corner the way I used to. Yeah. So, but it's I know like come summertime, like some of my friends that would come out and visit from somewhere else that has like still good dirt, they'd be like, how are you doing that? And I, you just readjust, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's like uh calibrating your, socks to the kitchen floor you know like how, <laughs> how fast you can slide across it and not uh you know hook up and go over the bars or slip out and land on your side <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> figuring that out with the dust on and like the kitty litter on top of the hard pack you know yeah yeah totally yeah it's interesting <laughs> it's interesting how that goes and then like like for us out here when we get the tahoe it's real sandy up there yeah so even though you're at altitude you come into this like turn that's like a sandbox you know sometimes you're like learning how to come through that and kind of almost ski through it with your front tire does that make sense oh yeah 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 like what the hell <laughs> and your counter steering kind of yeah 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 I so, love that so you mentioned like traveling for your your job you know and um does that is that like part of the deal like when you're sponsored with diamondback you have to go do like photo shoots or I, I'm not exactly sure like what you do with that sponsorship. I know like Jeff Lenowski said, you know, when he used to be, you know, doing all the, the trick stuff, you know, he would have to go to bike shops and do tricks for people in different bike shops across the U S. So how does that work out for what you're doing? Yeah. So it's always kind of evolved a little bit and it's a mix of a lot of things, honestly. Um, the main part of the job is my uh, my job is to be in the media and connecting with the consumers, basically. Um, so how I do that is kind of up to me. And um, it's always been a mix of, you know, for a long time it was contests. And then after that, it was 
totally media based. And mm -hmm. I try to spread it out between doing stuff for magazines, doing stuff in videos, doing stuff in TV shows and movies and whatever. Um, so basically mm -hmm. trying to connect with people in all the different ways possible. And that's always evolving, obviously, as we've seen in this, you know, landscape. And now <clears throat> a lot of that is, um, YouTube and a lot of that, cause that's where people are watching and you just have to meet people where they're at. Like you, none of us can tell people where to watch unless you're, I don't know, Brad Pitt or something like that, you know? And yeah. Right. Or Seth. <laughs> you're like even not even Seth. I mean, but like, like Howard Stern, he's like, I'm going off of the regular radio to Sirius XM. You know, that's like completely changing mediums and he took everyone with him. Yeah. And uh, so even even Seth is like uh, the people are on YouTube, so that's where he's got to be. And if the people are shifting somewhere else, then he'll be making videos there. I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think, but he's not at the level where he would be like, I'm partnering with this company to start a new platform for viewing videos. Come yeah, yeah. He he can pull the Rogan and be like, I'm leaving YouTube for exactly. Spotify, and everybody's gonna be like, All right, we're going over there now. <laughs> It's crazy, right? Like Rogan's just like off of this stuff. Like he yeah. just no more YouTube. I'm all in this. And yeah. I mean, Seth would bring a ton of people with him wherever he went, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. we're all going where the people are. And yeah. so, and how do you get the best connection with people too? And, you know, so for the last 10 years or whatever, it was um, magazines. Everyone's reading uh, Mountain Bike magazines. So we'd go on cool trips places to have editorial in those magazines, um, riding mm -hmm. bikes and wherever, whatever place that's never been written before or telling stories with uh, locals somewhere that they haven't been. And then, and then we would also make a video while we're there that would be, you know, on YouTube or Vimeo, but that was before YouTube was YouTube like it is yeah. now, you know? And uh, before that it was DVDs because people would buy the DVD that comes out every year um, for the, you know, cranked or neural disorder or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And then part of that's going to, um, you know, Sedona Mountain Bike Festival and Mountain Bike Oregon and Sea Otter and things like that. Uh -huh. uh, and so it's basically how can I, as an athlete, connect with the consumers of the brands and create good experiences about around the bikes um, with people and yeah, just connect with fans of the sport and have a good time with them. And um, <clears throat> the second part of that is um, I work closely with the product team because I have a lot of years of riding and I understand kind of angles and bikes and materials and all the stuff. And I'm, I'm good at critically riding bikes and thinking about um, how this bike could be better, how this part could be better or how something's functioning and not just being like, that was an awesome ride, but I can kind yeah. of focus on different things. So I've always loved that aspect of it and always That's really cool that you have that ability i i do not at all and i always think that that's really impressive for people that can be like like man you could probably blind blind ride me on like six different sets of tires and one of them that's really bad i'd be able to tell you sucks but like i wouldn't be able to be like well that one cornered a little bit better than that one climbed you know what i mean like yeah it's I sometimes wish I could turn it off and just, and I can sometimes and just ride and not think about it, but it's always on the back of your mind. Yeah. You almost kind of wish you could like step out of the, that matrix or whatever, you know, and, yeah. and ride a bike for fun. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's funny what you say with the testing part. If, um, 
it can be hard if you're just riding like different spots and different stuff all the time. So, you know, when we're testing, we do try to be as precise as possible with it. So, you know, we'd pick one section of trail and then test six different tires on that one yeah. section of trail and we'll time it. And it's, it's not always the most fun thing, but it's kind of cool to see, yeah, you know, to have these six different brand tires or different uh, compounds or sidewalls and test them uh, back to back and kind of see yeah. what makes the difference. And so the more you do that, the more you do get tuned in on. Um, yeah, I'm sure then it kind of trains you to think that way. Do you guys do, would you do that like over multiple days though? Cause in my head I would be like, oh, well that sixth run on that sixth tire. Of course I was better on it because like, I know the run really good now, you know what I mean? Like, right. But then on the other hand, you're a little more tired and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's always that balance for sure. And it's, um, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, two days, sometimes it's, it's always different. Um, but it's, it, it's really cool. And I, I think it's a cool thing to do. And even with, you know, like when we're making a new bike with Diamondback, like I'll have a prototype for, um, a year or six months or whatever. And like, yeah ride it a lot by myself um hard and yeah. gonna make sure it rides how we thought it was going to ride and you know obviously it's tested on a machine before they send it to me but then um yeah. nothing can substitute a 200 pound person making bad choices on a trail <laughs> yeah exactly and, yeah. Uh, yeah and then and then even down to like you know the suspension that comes on the bike going to you know we've if, you know, when we were testing this, the releases with the, um, the, our current, the level link suspension platform, um, we would go to Fox and we'd test all the different shocks so that we sent the bikes out the door with, uh, the best tune possible so that it's, yeah. it's not just like an off the shock, off the shelf shock, uh, yeah. that just comes on the bike, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that part of it. So then that also enables me kind of like a third part of the job is um, when we have new stuff, a lot of times I'll ride with editors of um, of the magazines and whatever. And again, like kind of convey how we came up with this bike and what it's good at, and what it's not good at, and mm -hmm. just have a good experience, have a good time on that bike. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I try to be um, – just a pretty well-rounded athlete and um, ambassador for the company. Someone that can yeah. fill a lot of, do a little bit and a lot of stuff there. Um, yeah. keeps, keeps things interesting for me too. So I'm not, I'm definitely never bored. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, again, now, now with YouTube, you know, like anyone that has committed a portion of their life to YouTube and making videos regularly and that sort of thing, you know how much, thought process that takes to come up with the idea to shoot the video to edit it um it's incredibly harder than i thought it was it's insane it's it's <laughs> the hardest I've ever worked in my life and um and i love it and again it's been the coolest way to connect with people and it's not like how did you get started on the youtube thing like yeah so i've been making videos for i mean well i've been in videos for my whole career so right you know, 20 years now um but I was never filming them or editing them. And right. so Bryce Winker, who is the Diamondback team manager a few years back, um, he got Seth on the, on the team when he was, I think he was under 50,000 subscribers. So he was, you know, a big deal then, but not like anything like he is now. And right. so I was just trying to figure out, you know, who this person is. And, you know, we had 
ended up being really close friends and talk every day now. Um, yeah. But I kind of saw what he was doing, how he was doing it. And then most importantly, like how he connected with people. Cause I'm like, okay, so I make a video for, it's a three minute shred video. And right. how is this connecting with anybody, you know? And it does connect with some people and those are important. Um, but watching the way that Seth can tell a story and connect with someone who doesn't even ride bikes, yeah, mountain biking important to them. I was like, this is like, that's incredible. That's cause that's a, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. <laughs> I'm doing a great job of talking to people that are already mountain bikers and people that are already following it, fans of it and that sort of thing. Um, and YouTube is a great way to not only do an even better job of that, uh, but it's a great way to connect with people and just be on people's TVs that have never been on a mountain bike. So we can be kind of introducing the whole world to our sport and telling our story. And so, yeah, you basically like kind of made friends with Seth and then that inspired you to do it or. Yeah. He's and and like, you, you know how you get, um, uh, inside your own world where you're like, this is normal. And Seth comes out to my house. He's like, this is not normal. (laughs) (laughs) Life is so far from normal. Uh, Like you have to make a YouTube channel and share this with the world. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, he definitely, you know, encouraged me to, to put the time in. He's like, but, but it's going to be the hardest you ever worked. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and he was right. Uh, on all accounts, but it also is very rewarding because um, it's just, a, a, again, a really cool connection and it's a cool way to bring people along with my normal life and daily stuff. And I, I don't do vlog style where I'm like weekly just kind of doing a ride or a vlog. I, I typically try to put a bit more into it and a bit more of a story and kind of make things that um, stand I mean, the doing well. I mean, I looked earlier, you're like, over a hundred thousand subscribers, right? You're like 130 almost or something like that. Yeah. It's doing incredible. I, I can't believe it. It's been awesome. Um, and yeah, so like I started making videos, um, and just kind of learning. And, and, and again, Seth was like, just start making videos. You're going to suck at first. And then you're going to yeah. get, it. and I, what helped me is I understood the process because I've been around people that were shooting me and then people that were editing it afterwards and been a part mm-hmm. of the process for a long time. So uh-huh. it's learning to do the whole thing myself. Um, <clears throat> and so I was making videos, making videos and getting better. And then, uh, yeah, basically a year ago when it was like, yep, March, nobody's traveling. As soon as we both got home from Sedona, it all shut down, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Well, you know what? Now's the time. This is the sign. I'm going all in on YouTube. So uh-huh. I did. And that was um, when I really committed to it and um, – kind of embrace the process and how it works. And, and, you know, again, like, you know, it takes a while to learn how to talk to the camera and how yeah. to include the viewer in what we're doing. Yeah. Being like, I don't know. I think part of it was uh, getting into it. I'm like, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is cool to the top pro riders. Uh-huh. Like when you're, when you're in like slope style, when you're doing tricks that no one's done before and that sort of thing, that's really important that what you're doing impresses your peers. You know what right. I mean? And then at a certain point you're like, you know what? Those aren't the people that are 
like they're awesome and they're my friends, but it doesn't really like, I'm not making videos for them. I'm making videos for the general yeah. public. I'm making videos to help get people into the sport. I'm making videos for people that are just fans of the sport that don't, that, that people can relate to, you know, yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. do things that like people can relate to me as a dad or my kids as, you know, my kids and what we're doing. Um, right. You know, if they're not involved, just uh, rides and exploring and things like that, just stuff that people can yeah. relate to because they can't relate to me grinding a double, like a, a handrail or something or right. doing crazy tricks. And like, it's, right. it's good for the sport. I want all of it to be there. I want the big budget, craziest, you know, anthill videos, free ride videos. Right, right. Too. But I think this is uh, a super important aspect of the sport right now and having you know me here to tell to bring my experience to this and what i have uh as a industry and sport veteran um to convey that to people and it's also super important to have someone like seth who is not from the mountain bike industry come in with a unique perspective that everybody relates with can relate yeah. to because they're like yeah that guy's like me you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely interesting. Um, it's definitely. I'm sure it was like a bit of a, maybe a little bit of a, a eye opener or like a wake up call for you. I know when I talked to Jeff Lanowski about when he started his channel, he was like, "Dude, I'm a pro rider, man. Like I've been doing this for years. People knew who I am. I'm gonna make a channel and boom." And he's like, "I made a channel and it was like crickets." And he's like, "What the hell, man? Like." I thought like this, like, like people know who I am. They're going to come, you know? And it's like, no, dude, you, you, it's like a, this is a new platform. It yeah. doesn't matter what your name is. Like, I mean, I'm, I would imagine it would at a certain level, but for the most part, people want to actually be entertained somehow, you know, or to get some knowledge from it or something. And if you're not providing that, it doesn't really matter. You yeah. Know? I've talked to Jeff about it a lot. Cause he's, you know, I like Jeff. He's a good dude, man. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, uh, um, yeah, actually when I, when I couldn't make it last week for or a couple of weeks ago for Owen's birthday, I was like, Jeff, can you, can you hop on this one? He's yeah. like, oh, not on the shore, you know, obviously Jersey shore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Jeff's been, uh, helped a lot as well. Um, with all this, cause he's been doing it for longer than I have. And we always, yeah, we joke about it. Like we've, it's, there's a time when like, I mean, he was on MTV, you know? Yeah. Right all this stuff and like in the biggest productions and now, you know, holding a GoPro talking to yourself, you know, <laughs> and, and um, you're like, well, there's two ways to look at it. You're like, so it's come to this or you can look at it like, Hey, I'm adapting. And this is, uh, this is the real stuff that people want to see and a yeah. good way to connect with people. And, and it's, I've also felt like it's really cool that it's a new level of uh, freedom. Um, yeah. because before, if I had an idea for a video, I've got to pitch that to my sponsors. I've got to get money together from them to pay a filmer to film it and edit it. And we got to do all this stuff. And now I'm just like, you know, it'd be cool. And then we, I just go do it. Right. And it's obviously way harder cause I got to do it all myself. But, right. um, you know, and again, again, I still love doing stuff when I can have someone come shoot me and edit it yeah. and put together this beautiful piece that, I'm not like, I'm not a pro filmer. I'm not a pro editor I'm yeah. enough. And I get better with every video because yeah, you know, my personality to just always try and learn and improve. But yeah. 
you know, it's uh, it's that kind of new level of freedom to be able to just make what I want to. And um, and you, people have been into it, which has been really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's an adventure, you know. I, I wish that my channel was doing better than it is. And anytime that I feel that way, I also know it has to do with the amount of effort that I'm putting in. So it's like, if I wanted to do better, then I just need to work harder, you, you know? So, and obviously I haven't made that decision yet. So. <laughs> it's, it sucks, right? Like, like, oh, that's how it works. It's kind of like awesome and easy to yeah. understand, but then you're also like, well, like, I mean, my videos that have done the best are basically the ones that I put the most into and like just yeah. struggled and stayed up all night. Like, first of all, like we're like extensive builds or, you know, rides are like kind of well thought out things. But then um, when I'm like over pushed to the limit over the edge on the edit, you know, days in like staying up all night long and yeah. pushing through and being like, just trying to figure out what it is and like how I can cut it down until there's nothing extra in there. And every, you know, and then you're like three in the morning, switching something around the order a little bit so that it works yeah. better. And adjusting audio and stuff and then when you get that finished product out and yeah. people are stoked on it you're like okay that was all worth it but it's yeah. cool when you're in there you know it's yeah um i think that's the reason that i keep doing it is the uh whatever that endorphin rush or whatever you get from whenever it's finished and how it like feels and being able to watch it and like i i mean at that point you've watched your own video like <laughs> 60 times right you know what i mean like going through and editing and editing and like you think you're done you watch it again and you're like clip 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 you know like all this stuff and uh but still when it's done it'll be like you you might watch it one or two more times just to like enjoy it you yeah know? and just be like that was really cool that was a good time you know yeah i like that like when i've uh i've watched some of the older stuff from last summer or whatever and you're like I don't know when it just kind of pops in when you're looking back for something or whatever anyway. And uh, yeah. you're like, and it sucks you in and you're like, you end up watching your whole own video that you made. Like, <laughs> all right. I think I did an all right job on that one. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, like at the very least you um, you've documented your life and I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I looked at it like, so going into this, I said to myself, like, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to do this. I'm, I'm doing well with what I'm doing and I'm connecting to people and doing a good job of it. Um, but, uh, worst case scenario, I'll have great documentation of like this age in the kids' lives and my own life. And, um, yeah. and I'll get better at filming and editing and, you know, that's not a bad worst case scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, now I've got some of the best home videos you could ask for, you know? Right. And so, uh, best case scenario, it works well. And, um, you know, hopefully it continues to work well because I'm enjoying it and it's um, continuing to grow, which is really cool. Have you noticed it's kind of screws up watching TV and movies? Man, I don't watch it. I mean, it does. Yeah. Cause you like, you're thinking about like how they got that shot. And like, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. seven I'll, times. I'll do this to all the time to the lady now. I'll be like, Oh man, did you see that transition? And then she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like the way they cut the camera there. That was like so cool. And she's like, no, no, I'm watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're ruining the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
in the story and you're like, how did they do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grown with that one. The one that I've been thinking about a lot is like, I know how to do stuff because we work in a digital space. And I think to myself, like, how did they do this edit like in 1950 when they were like cutting shit up with scissors? You know what I mean? Like, how did they do that? You know? Yeah, that's crazy for sure. I mean, my first, when I was in high school, I was in the media class and um, we edited with two VCRs, like, you know, um, yeah. and even that was like, because uh, you just have to, now we can just move the timeline around however you want. And with that, right. you're literally stacking the timeline and that's all you got. Right, uh, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how much better it's gotten. Right. Like, 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 a, like a crossfade, you know? Like they were literally like overlapping those two pieces of film for that amount of time. Yeah. So that it went that way. And you're like, no, we just like do like click a little button. And we're like, oh, that's good. Nah, never mind. I don't want it. You know? like, yeah. We're in like, like adjusting audio level levels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it, it's interesting to think about, but I don't know. Maybe it's just interesting to us because we're, we're doing it, but I don't know. I think it's a really fun thing. It definitely, has been um, quite the learning experience for me. And I will say that, you know, when I first started, BKXE was probably one of the, the big um, motivators for me. And I, I remember just going out there and like thinking like, I'm gonna buy a GoPro and a gimbal and I'm gonna be like YouTube famous, you know? And uh, here I am like three, four years later, I don't even know how long it's been. And it's like, I'm still, trying to figure it out you know it's well that's the thing i learned we're all still just trying to figure it out no matter like everyone that's at levels higher above us they know more than us yeah figuring it out too and yeah. uh because it's always changing as well and yeah you, know, you can see it like even like you know mark rober level like those guys they're 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 changing how they're doing it because it's always adapting and they're if yeah you the same thing it's 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 not going to keep growing the way it is so it's yeah, it's a thing to um, to keep track of and and study and continue to push yourself and evolve. That's for sure. Have I you found yourself get to a point where you you feel like you're getting a little burned out with it? No, I think the uh, hardest thing for me is that I overthink it. Um, as far as I spend a lot of time on <clears throat> trying to come up, I probably overcomplicate things with like. Uh, trying to figure out what a, a storyline is or whatever. And cause I'm like, I don't want to just be like, uh, like right now, for instance, my next video, like I'm going to be, we're going to start riding in the yard again and get it tuned up. But I'm like, okay, how do I do that video and tell a story? That's not the same story I told last year, getting the pump track ready to ride. And mm -hmm. it's different and it's going to be different stuff, but um, you know, and I'll come up with something and I'll figure it out and then, you know, hopefully make a good video with it. Um, yeah. But I'm always, trying to figure that out like what are because you got to it always has to come back to like what would you want to watch and what would you want to do and the story you want to tell but then you you know you start overthinking it being like are people going to like this and like that and you're like yeah you can't think like that because then you're making it for them and there's already like everything out there so yeah the key to me at least is figuring out like what matters to me and um yeah um, but it's not always easy, you know, and sometimes you, um, I would look at it like, it doesn't matter if you tell the same story as you did last year, because it can't be the same whenever you're actually making it. 
because totally. you're doing something different. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, who cares if, I mean, you could say, you could start it out that way. Like, here we are. It's that time of year again. We got to tune the yard up and this is how we're doing it. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I'm sure. Cause you, you're doing like some kind of building stuff and like rehabbing stuff. And like that stuff is interesting to people that don't even ride bikes. Yeah. Like, you know, what was I watching? Somebody put something together or something just recently. And I remember thinking that was really entertaining. And I have like, I really don't care about this at all. You know, like, like them making a knife or something. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, okay. I don't yeah. ever want to make a knife. I don't really even care how it's made, but I watched that whole video. You know? <laughs> right. No, so, uh, Jeff was giving me a hard, Lenowski, he's giving me a hard time about last year. He's like, what are you like a build channel now? You're just going to build stuff from now on? <laughs> like, dude, you're a rider. You need to be riding. In the, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I can stuff. hear him saying that too, man. I can <laughs> totally yeah. hear him saying it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was like, maybe I am. I don't know. I, Cause I do love building stuff. And, um, so I try to mix it up. I, I honestly, I think the channel would probably do better if I'd focus on one thing. Um, yeah. but I like, this is kind of a look inside my brain and I like doing a whole bunch of different stuff. So, um, yeah. I'm kind of the constant in it. And sometimes the kids are in it. Sometimes other friends or pro riders or whatever are in it. Um, mm -hmm. but it's kind of all inside my brain and what we're doing and, and I'm easily distracted and I like to do different stuff. I like to yeah. ride bikes and snowboard and fish and run, build yeah. stuff with a chainsaw and whatever. So, um, and I've kind of had a whole career like that too. Uh, again, like to my benefit and probably detriment to where like, if I had just focused on slope style or just focused on even like racing back in the day and I wasn't dirt jumping all the time in between races and I was training yeah. on a road bike or something, probably would have done better at it, but, um, somehow kind of being decent at a bunch of stuff has always been what's kept me interested and having fun. And yeah, so yeah. I just kind of embrace it now and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at a bunch of stuff. So I'll just do all that. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys bought that house, did you like buy it with the yard in mind? Like you, you thought you were going to be putting what you have in there then a hundred percent. So it was, yeah. um, so we had bought our, this is our second house that we like bought as a family or whatever. We bought our first house, um, not too far from here, but it was like the, you know, kind of cookie cutter, all the, all the houses in the neighborhood look the same. Type like of place. Yeah. Small, small fenced in yard. And we were like, and I was like, oh, I guess this is, I mean, this, that was all we could afford. And yeah. it was in 06 when things were like through the roof, like they are yeah. now. You know, and yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, well, I guess I just basically settled for that. And I was like, I guess I'll never have the backyard riding set up, but mm -hmm. that's okay because I'm close to this. And, you know, I justified it with all the reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. And then when the market crashed, we're like, we're uh, like a hundred grand underwater on this house. Like we can never sell this house. We're screwed. Yeah. And, um, but whatever, like we could afford our payments because we didn't like go crazy. When yeah. I mean, when we signed up for that loan, they're like, we'll give you like, how much do you want to, I don't know if you bought a house then, or if you remember this, but like yeah. brokers were like, what do you want to buy? And you're like, well, what can I afford? They're like, no, no, no. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was totally that way. Oh, you make this much? Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And they're <laughs> like, me, they're like, you're self-employed. Great. Write down whatever you want. Like, yeah. Yeah. What, and, do, what do you want to make? You want to make a million dollars a year? That's what we'll write down. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, if you could pull it off, great. Like it was a lot of freedom to be able to get what you wanted to. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, we were pretty conservative and um, still we were underwater. But what happened was uh, market crashed and places like this became more affordable. And one of our best friends, uh, Double D from, he works for SRAM, uh, was Cannondale before that. He had a place, uh, it was like our next door neighbor um, at this place where we are now. And uh, he had a pump track back there. So we were always going over riding the pump track. And there's uh, the, you know, our house next door. It was a log cabin. We're like, that's our dream house. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just kept on like asking the owners, hey, if you want to sell, we, we want to buy. And they like, Tried to list it a couple of times, tried to do all this stuff. And we ended up just getting really lucky at the bottom of the market that they were like, all right, let's just get an appraisal and you guys can, we'll sell it to you at that. And um, we got really lucky and it was affordable. And so we got this place and rented out the other one and eventually sold it. The market got back up, but yeah, our dream house basically. So um, that's so cool, man. And it was like, yeah, so I'd basically given up on the having backyard dirt jumps completely. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, whatever it was, six years after that, after I'd given up on that, you know, here we are and we've got this, we got an acre and got a backyard full of jumps and bump track and cool stuff. So when you moved in, you were like, immediately, you are like, just start moving dirt around? Yeah, the first year um, I got like, the, the neighbor behind us, it's just open field and he uh -huh. was moving dirt around for whatever. And, uh, I was like, can I buy like six loads off you? And, uh, he was like, Oh, I'm, I got a ton. I'll just have him dump them there. So, and, uh, so then he like made just six loads of dirt into one. I shaped up one landing and built a wood kicker in front of it. And uh -huh. that was part of it, which is now the, like kind of the trick step up jump with the retaining wall. Um, uh -huh. And then the following year, um, Diamondback was having uh, their big dealer event here. And I was like, well, why don't we, why don't I build out the whole yard? We'll get a bunch more dirt and I'll build, you know, a bunch of like a full jump line around the whole backyard. And then we'll have like take the editors out riding and then finish at the house with the whole team of like slope style guys and yeah, buddy riding with the editors and big barbecue in the backyard jump session. And right, uh, right. Sure enough, we made it happen. Um, that was Kelly McGarry um, helped build it, and um, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome uh, thing. So we pulled it all off in like I don't know a month and a half or something. Yeah, and, uh, it's evolved a lot since then, but um, yeah, it's that was how we got it. Basically, pulled it off. So it's, I mean, we got like I can't remember the final count, but I don't know, like. 70 dump truck loads of dirt back there now. Good like, Lord. A lot. <laughs> Actually at current lumber prices, a lot of, a lot of money in wood back there too. It wasn't right there when we bought it, but um, I've been pricing out wood now cause I got to resheet the roll in and yeah. Uh, yeah, stuff's up right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody's been talking about that. It's funny. That was like the conversation that conversation came up twice yesterday between like two different groups of people. It's funny how that is. So, um, how do you like as a parent like handle your kids like hitting that big stuff back there and not really like freaking out about it i'm actually pretty conservative i'm um i've been accused of being captain safety uh before <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> I'm, like my wife will be like just let them do like whatever it is because i 
I've seen so much go down over the years at, between contests and trips and right. Like I've seen everything, everyone get hurt doing everything almost that you could possibly have happen. Right. So I'm like, I'm always paranoid about it. I'm always like, this is going to happen and that could happen. And then like, yeah. And I'm used to like constantly doing kind of risk management for my right. own self. Right. And, and so, father, I mean, you do that, you know, like, automatically with your kids so that's why i'm like yeah so i'm i've basically i've been um if anything the whole time holding them back but creating opportunities for them to be incrementally more successful um yeah. as we go so like small wins all the time and uh like I, I don't know before now milo and i mean owen was hitting like 40 foot ski jumps today in the ski park i mean yeah. in the train park at park city and um <clears throat> it's just incremental it's like you got to put in the reps first on the smaller yeah. and you know first it was just riding the sidewalk then it was riding a smooth trail then it was riding pump track and then it was hitting jumps on the pump track and kind of tables and then small doubles and then bigger tables and then bigger doubles and basically um really slowly working your way up and putting the reps in and uh I think that's a common uh, mistake with mountain bikers and everything like, so BMX dirt jumpers, they hit the, you've seen, like, I know I've been to some trails in Sacramento, like 30 foot steep, tall doubles. Um, I can't remember what they were called, but like BMX dirt jumping is these massive gaps with like no room for error on bikes without suspension and stuff. And yeah. they do that because of that, it takes years. You have to learn how to dig. You can't just show up to the trails. Like you got to dig and build them and be a part of it. So I basically built that into the kids from the beginning that, you know, you can, you basically earn your way to hitting this uh -huh. Instead of the other way around where I think the bike park mentality is I'm going to get off this lift and then I'm going to hit the green trail and the blue trail and the black trail. And then it works out great for like three days of your trip. And then you go home with a broken collarbone because yeah. you don't, the reps and you don't have the time over years of air awareness and things like that. So I've done my best to kind of hold the kids back from what they actually could ride so that they can become pretty good at the level that they're at and um, keep working their way up. And it's, it's worked really well for so far. I mean, for not, who knows if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know. It's kind of mm -hmm. my own program, honestly, because I see these kids that are the same age that are doing incredible things. And, you know, one of the kids that we were snowboarding with today, um, this kid, Connor, he was, he's nine years old and he was double backflipping at Pastrana's house in the fall on his BMX bike. Yeah. You know, I don't know who's right or who's wrong or whatever. It's awesome to see them do that. Um, yeah. But I think my own personal philosophy on it is I would rather have this be a lifelong thing that, they're slowly progressing and I don't, I think it's easier too because I've kind of uh, achieved my dreams of being a pro rider and riding the biggest stuff in the world that I wanted to do. And yeah. so there's, um, and not to say that anyone else is projecting things, but like I've seen it with like, you know, I don't know, uh, soccer dads, BMX dads, whatever, where people are projecting their dreams onto their kids. Yeah, like, I've definitely seen that. You know, and again, it's like some of the best athletes in the world have come from that. So I'm not saying that they're wrong and I'm right. Um, I'm yeah, just saying right. 
philosophy. Like, like Tiger Woods dad, like being a jerk to Tiger and making him play golf 24 seven from the time he was like, whatever, you know, right. <laughs> made him one of the best golfers in the world. So, he, you know, like on one hand you could be like, that guy was a jerk, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not passing judgment on anybody else, but yeah, my yeah. personal philosophy is that I would rather build them up slowly. And um, if it's some, if, cause I get that question a lot of like, Oh, do you want your kids to be pro riders like you? Or do you not want them to or whatever? And I'm like, I just want to back them on what they do. And yeah. I want to provide good opportunities for them to build the skill set and pass on everything I know to help them kind of yeah. grow. And um, yeah, it's worked out pretty good so far. We're having a good time and they're, they're getting better every year and they're enjoying it and they love it. And you know, they, they get off the bus and, from school and go out in the back and ride in the backyard without me, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah. it's not something, you know, I've created an atmosphere to where I'm not like dragging them out the door to go ride, but they're asking me to ride or whatever. Um, yeah. And, um, I don't remember what the original question was there. I feel like I rambled a little bit, but you know, man, I, I, I was listening to what you had to say though. It sounded good yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. Basically it just, uh, I want to create uh, good experiences for them and good yeah. memories and, build them up in a safe way, good, safe, long-term progression. I, I, I just think I see a lot of people getting hurt in mountain biking. Yeah. It bums me out because I, it's part of it and it will happen, but I don't yeah. think it needs to happen as often as it does because it's really easy to go to Whistler and go ride a line and have the best time ever. But then one time you're like in the air like this, like what just happened? And I don't know how to save this. Right. And um, they're having a great trip and until they're, like knocked out and broken collarbone or something. And you're Do like, you, think, you know, the other day I was at the, the bike park and I don't go often enough. And every time I go, it makes me like, man, I need to come more. And, um, there was a lot of stuff that I'm trying to do at the bike park that when I was 15 years old, riding BMX, I could have done without even thinking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I go there, that's why I always think to myself, man, I really need to go back because obviously I lost that. Right. Yeah. And, um, but how much do you think like going over those tabletops and learning how to jump those type of, and how that, how you're riding there, how much does that actually play into good, like trail riding? I think a lot. Um, I think pump track riding does too. Um, mm -hmm. maybe it's for my style of riding a trail, but I think, uh, after a while, you look at a trail differently. You start to see the rollers and the rocks and the natural rolls of the trail as things you can pump in manual yeah. and corners that aren't a corner, but you can find the traction in it and look for it. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it kind of teaches you to look at the trail a different way. And, and um, I mean, it was the more I started dirt jumping, the more I started. I was also racing cross country at the same time. Mm -hmm. I would try to see, um, this is before pump tracks were a thing, but you could go to like a BMX track, which is basically, yeah, a, track basically track. a pump track. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I would try to see how long I could stay with other cross country riders in a race without pedaling. Like uh -huh. if it's, I mean, some tracks you can't do that, but yeah, right. To have features and root roots and rocks and rollers and stuff. Yeah. Like, I would just try to hang with people without even pedaling. And, yeah. And that was entertaining to me. And so I think it does. Um, and because you're in more control then too, if you're trying to pedal over stuff or if you're just yeah. like, rip, rip, and kind of yeah. pop, 
popping and floating. Um, and I think it does vary. And the more times you hit a jump, the more you've hit a jump weird and fixed yeah. it. And, you know, after you ride enough trail, you're going to find yourself like, in that spot you're like kind of a little sideways and you're either used to that or you're not used to it <laughs> yeah yeah being used to it's good because then you you know how to you know how to get out of it without like when you're on the trail knowing how to get out of it is a good place to learn or to to get out of it right it's not yeah. a good place to learn to, to how to get out of it though like yeah. when you're at bike park you got like nowhere that you're gonna like smash your ribs on this rock or that or whatever so if you do screw up you know, the, the consequences are lower. So yeah, I see what you're saying there for sure. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, it's funny. You were talking about the no pedaling thing too. One of my friends recently, there's this run that we, a lot of us do just to see how fast we can get. Right. Yeah. And, and he was like, at a certain point, he's like, okay, we're fast as hell. Like, what are we trying to get faster at? You know, at this point, you know, and, and I'm at that point too. And he's like, you know, what we started doing is we go to the top. And now you can't pedal at yeah. all and you got to get to the bottom. And there's a couple of spots where there's some like little punchy uphill. Like right now in my head, I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to do this? And he's like, dude, you learn how to carry your speed so well and like pump every little divot or whatever to be able to get your bike over that. And he's like, it's like a whole new trail. And it's just like, yeah, by not pedaling. <laughs> think about cornering too like how do you hold your speed through this corner and the like where do you break because you can't pedal out of it yeah 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 he yeah. was saying like they'll all line up at the top and when they start you'll know as soon as somebody tapped their brake because everybody else is just <laughs> you know it's just like they just tapped it for a second you know and that was it yeah so. whistler did that for a while with uh they had like locals like tuesday night brakeless races or something like that um yeah and I think it was, uh, they probably moved it around, but like beeline trail or whatever. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, where you like, they take, you take your chain off and, um, yeah. and rain. <laughs> that sounds super fun, man. Or Dude, been, rider. Yeah. Right. It's been two hours, man. It's been awesome chatting with you. I really appreciate that you, uh, that you took the time to, to meet up with me and that we could have this conversation. I usually, uh, ask people before they go what other YouTube channels they like to watch. Cause it's entertaining to me, whether or not it's mountain biking or some guy building a knife or something. What, what do you like? What do you like watching? Yeah. Um, man, I don't, I don't have time to watch that much stuff. What do I watch though? Um, I've been, uh, my friend Aaron Lucy just started a new channel. Um, he's, uh, I've, I've been on, well, he fit, been a lot of film trips with him over the years and he's uh -huh. uh, he was a pro trials rider with Lenoski a long time ago. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. He just started a YouTube channel and just rented a whole warehouse. Like he's going all in. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's doing like trials content, which is oh, that's cool. I just got a new trials bike. Um, and, uh, and what else do I end up watching on YouTube? I watch a lot of funny stuff. I watch a lot of stand up comedians. Yeah. Who, who <laughs> you like watching? Oh, I love uh, like any of the Chappelle stuff. Uh, oh yeah, he's good. I like older stuff too. The uh, big Bill Bill Burr fan as well. Oh, uh, right on. We got the same same sense of humor then. Yeah, <laughs> that, that cracks me up. Totally. That, Bert Kreischer. Oh my God, Bert Kreischer is awesome. That whole crew is, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I like I'm I'm not a huge Rogan fan, but um, I like the. I watch like selected ones with people that I'm really into, like with good stand-up comedians or like yeah. 
climbers or whatever. His and stand up is really good too, though. He's oh yeah, really he's funny. Super good. He I is. just I can't like he puts out like three hours a day of yeah. stuff. Like I'm not like that uh, level with him, but um, what I think is cool that I take from it is the commitment to the craft of it. You know how he talks yeah, about yeah. like the just kind of studying it and getting better at what you're doing. And so that's, you know, um, that's what I've been trying to do with YouTube and kind of study the, the people that are better than me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. But yeah, I'm out of, I, I, I just, uh, I wish I had more time to watch stuff, honestly, um, yeah. with uh, kids. I know when I, when I first got into YouTube, I used to, I mean, before that I was a content, like somebody that was watching it, you know, and I watched everybody's stuff. Yeah. And now it's like, I subscribe to all of our friends, you know, and I watch them sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm uh, yeah, this like, I, you know, definitely I'm always stoked to see what Seth comes out with, with Alex, the single track sampler. And yeah. EXE and like all the, you know, Seth, the other backyard trail builds. I yeah. think it's so cool that he's um, just this kid in Missouri building stuff in his yard, you know? Have, have yeah. you seen his channel? Yeah, he sucked me in a couple weeks ago. I never really watched this stuff. I heard a bunch of people talking about it. And then yeah. I watched one where he, like, built something with, like, no nails. And he just yeah. put it all together. I was like, what? This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was cool for sure. Like I'm like this guy deserves to be like at a billion followers or whatever, man. Because totally, apparently he's like making his own music and everything. Like I know I saw that. Like he's like in the studio, like writing songs and recording. <laughs> like, right, next level. He's got more time than I have. <laughs> right, I'm like no wonder I'm not doing well. <laughs> I need to write my own music. It's well, anyway, dude, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming hanging out with me and everybody on, on the on the channel here live and. All of those of you that are listening on the podcast, thanks for tuning in as well. Everybody, um, it's like this happens every Sunday, except for when it doesn't. But <laughs> all you got to do is subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the thumbs up button. If you're there now watching, that would be great. But uh, yeah, subscribe or follow the podcast and uh, they'll, they'll be out and you'll be able to check them out. And if you want to help support the channel, please do. And um you can do that many a ways. Like I said earlier, swing by the biker website, pick up some swag, swing by Patreon, maybe, maybe drop some money over there. That would be cool. Or you could just simply hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button, write a review. If you like the podcast, I like, like listening or checking those out. And there was something else I was going to tell you guys to do, but I can't remember what it was. So instead I'm just going to tell you, there's one thing I like to tell everybody. It only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs>